Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jimmy Scott Finch Podcast Radio Show. Coming to you on this Friday, August the 18th, 2023. Hopefully it finds you staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. On today's episode, we are wrapping with Dr. Michael Price, talking all things physical therapy, helping you guys move better, feel better, and hopefully bringing you some education along the way. Before I jump into that, some quick housekeeping things. One... The Jeremy Scott Fitness app is live and rocking for you guys. We are just wrapping up the 34-day ab and core challenge for those peeps in there. I think they're on day number 33 right now. If you guys want to check it out, jeremyscottfitness.app will get you guys a week for free. See if you like it. If you dig it, you guys can stand with us. If you guys think it sucks, I'm happy to point you in a different direction. jeremyscottfitness.app is the link. You get access to all my personal Workouts that I update every single week in real time with you guys, all of our full programs, mobility flows, nutritional content, and everything in between. We add new stuff every single week. So if you guys want to check it out, if you're looking to do something different, or you're not sure where to begin, app. we will work with you guys inside of there. And if you want it, once you're inside, you guys can stand for just a couple of pennies a day. And also, you guys already know, this episode's brought to you by my homies at Athletic Greens, the one thing I take every single day and I never miss. If you guys are tired of taking 14 different pills and you're looking for like kind of a one-stop solution, this would be the one thing that I would invest in. I've been traveling a lot this summer. It's the one thing I always take with me and I never make an excuse not to take it. Uh, especially when you travel, you guys know how it is. You don't eat kind of your normal diet. You don't have access to as many fruits and vegetables, even as diligent as I am. I stop at grocery stores. I pack and prep and I do all the things I need to do. But even for me, it gets tough, especially if you're out with friends and family. And for most of you, you're just busy with life, kids, travel, and a job. So personally, I think it's the best tasting uh, kind of supplement drink that is out there. And I've tried damn near all of them. Personally, I take it, I feel a little energy boost, but for me, it's more of the gut health and getting all the micronutrients I need in for the day. So if you've seen 20 different ads about it, maybe you've heard 20 other people talk about it, but you want to try it 100% for free, don't feel weird. Reach out to us. You're just a DM. Monica will send you a pack right to your front door. I don't care what state, country, providence you live in. We'll get it to you. You can try it. And if you like it, we'll hook you guys up with a year's supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs with the order one. So if you guys are interested, link us in the show notes here, drinkag1.com slash Jeremy Scott gets you all the free stuff. Otherwise, reach out to us for the free sample and we'll get you guys a sample of the AG1 ASAP. So with that, we have my man, Dr. Michael Price in the house. Welcome, sir. Happy to be here. So, uh... It's up to you, man. Uh, as far back as you want to go with these guys, origin story, kind of tell them how you got here, maybe how you got into the world of physical therapy and all that fun stuff. Uh, yeah, we'll do a little bit of both. Uh, born and raised in Wisconsin. Uh, beautiful, my, beautiful place. Beautiful place. Uh, miss it right about now. Um, went to University of Wisconsin-Madison for my undergrad, studied uh, kinesiology, exercise and movement science. Uh, went back and forth for a while between medical school and PT school. Decided to go to PT school back in uh, La Crosse, where I'm home, uh, where I'm from, uh, University of Wisconsin La Crosse. Did my three-year doctorate there, and then uh, moved to Scottsdale to do a one-year orthopedic residency, and that's what brought me here. Uh, and then, I guess I could say I met a girl, and uh, she was a good reason to keep me here. 
uh, combination of that, like Scottsdale, had a good job opportunity after the residency. And uh, just over six years later, still here in Scottsdale. Um, been practicing the Valley, uh, you know, so I guess for just, just over six years. Uh, started working for one of the large, larger corporate physical therapy companies for uh, uh, about four years or so. And then decided to pull the trigger, make the jump, make the leap, and open my own practice just over two years ago. Uh, and that's where I'm, that's where I'm at now. Um, as far as how I got into PT. Uh, yeah, like why the, why the PT stuff over like, Hey, I'm just going to be a regular, or are we going to be like a normal, just a general family practitioner? Uh, uh, I hadn't gotten that far. Um, you know, for the first just big decision is whether you want to go to medical school or PT school and, uh, you know, medical school, medical school is just four years and then you got to pick, Yeah, you know, uh, you got to do a three, four, five year residency after that. Um, and, uh, I guess really how I made my decision is I, uh, I did a summer research fellowship, uh, in the cross at Gunnarsson, uh, hospital there. And, uh, got my LASIK eye surgery there. No kidding. Yeah. And, uh, it was kind of a cool gig. As long as you got your 40 hours, uh, of work in that summer, uh, they didn't care how you did it. Uh, but they allowed you to shadow like any doctor in any department throughout the entire hospital. That's cool. So the overachiever in me, I worked four tens and then I shadowed a doctor every week for a whole day. And by the end of the summer, I shadowed like, uh, 20 some different doctors and just picked their brains all day long. And I asked every doctor at some point throughout the day, would you do it all over again? Would you go to medical school? Would you become a doctor? And I definitely got some yeses, but the number of no's that I got was overwhelming. And that's, I would say that summer and, and kind of that experience is what pushed me to PT because at that point I had shadowed a ton of PTs and um, every PT that I, I uh, spent time with loved what they did uh, and recommended and would do it again. So No shit. Yeah. Like what year is this? Uh, this would be uh, in between my sophomore and junior year of college, so 2010, 11. Okay. I always wonder now because, like, the whole industry is, it seems like it's getting better in some instances and, like, way worse in a lot of others, just like the medical f in general, like with people aren't healthy, insurance, the cost, everything, and the cost to go to school, like the price of entry is so high. And so the, for, like, a lot of physicians, I would imagine, like, Hey, I'm going to go be an anesthesiologist, which we have friends that are, um, that have now like paid off their student loans by like the miracle of, you know, life for them. And now they can crush. But if not, it's like, well, dude, I'm chewing on six, $700,000 of loans. That's like a weight, dude, that you can't get away from. Yeah, that's significant. That's going to take some time to. And you can't like, you can't do a different job because there's nothing else that pays enough to kind of offset the cost. Right. So I wonder, like, when you talk to people, like, hey, this is a huge investment, especially, like, even big PT school. Like, nothing's cheap anymore. So, like, when you do it, you're like, hey, man, I'm, you know, pot committed to doing this, and this is what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, I got similar answers. Um, the common themes were why doctors didn't want to do it again were it's an absolute grind, super long, uh, incredible amount of stress, uh, zero life balance while you're going through it the four years of medical school all the residency can you start a family uh, get married start a family while you're going through it yeah but it's hard for sure um, and uh huge student loans um complaint about insurance and how that's dictating how they practice 
uh, everybody's so happy and the malpractice insurance is crazy expensive and just, you know, that headache. Um, let's see here. Uh, how- Cause like, cause like a, like a normal facility, like a hospital, like how many people do a lot of these dudes got to see in a day? Like it's, it's big numbers. You know what I'm saying? It's not like I see five patients. It's like you're on the clock like 24-7 or just like similar to when we say like PT mills. Yeah. And again, I'm not judging anybody's business model, but if you're doing like physical therapy and you're, you're a, a doctor and you're seeing 30, 40 people in a day, there's no way you can remember someone's name, let alone like what their real issue is. Yeah. And that's the same thing I think with a lot of hospitals. Like you're just the normal, hey, I'm the family general you know, family doctor, and I got to see 50 people today, or I got to see 1,200 people in a year. That's just wild to me. Yeah. So I, you know, you walk in and, and, uh, you've got like three to five minutes to chat with that doctor and they're in and out and you're like, what just happened? I didn't get to answer, you know, ask any of my questions, stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's a frustrating, frustrating system. Um, that's why you're seeing this huge shift in doctors and physical therapists and lots of other, uh, healthcare providers, that are getting out of these insurance-based, uh, you know, jobs, and they're starting their own practices. They're doing cash-based concierge models, and that's because they can have complete autonomy with the way that they practice. Um, they can have as much time with their clients as they want, um, and so that's that's why. And, and people are hungry for that. People are people want attention and want to be able to have their time with the provider uh, and not feel like it's rushed. And so there's value in that and people are willing to pay for it. Um, and actually, uh, once you really break it down, it, a lot of times it comes out in the wash because you got large copays and deductibles. Uh, you know, you got a lot of things that aren't covered or extra costs, even if you're using your insurance. And so uh, a lot of times it ends up coming in the wash, whether you're going through your insurance or not. Well, a lot of times like now, like for, if you're healthy, like the insurance is just, for like catastrophic shit because mm-hmm. it's otherwise it's kind of I don't want to say it's worthless but I remember like um like we have insurance and it's like from my understanding like legit health insurance so when we do things it's like this is 15 bucks for a visit or I think I got whatever amoxicillin or something for a sinus infection it was like two dollars like all this shit costs nothing but then it's like to go to an MRI hey if you use your insurance it's I'm gonna make up a number I don't know if it's like 800 bucks I'm like, but if I swipe an Amex, you're like, it's 250 250 yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? It's the same thing. Yeah. Like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> yeah. I go, and that's the backwards part to me where it's like, I don't know. I don't know how you fix that, but it just seems kind of wild where if you have money, like anything in life, it, things do become easier in terms of like access to stuff. But if you don't have money, it's like, man, this is tough. Especially if I want to get treatment where whatever it is per hour, 150 bucks, 200 bucks, like it's kind of wild out there. Uh yeah, it's frustrating. Because um, what do you you guys do? Just cash or you do both? Uh, cash based models. I mean, uh, sometimes people think I just take cash. No, I mean credit card, uh, HSA cards. Uh, people still write checks, believe it or not. Yeah, which is wild. But yeah, no cash based model. But then the cool thing a lot of people don't know is uh, you can provide, or I can provide, what's called a, a super bill. I don't know why they call it super. Um, it's just a it's a document. Uh, that has uh, the billing codes, the diagnosis codes, um, you know, my business uh, information, like it's got to have your name, your license number, it's got to have a signature on it. And anyways, they can submit that to insurance for reimbursement. 
and they typically get reimbursed at whatever their out of network rate is. Um, so they're getting cash back. Um, typically not 100%, but, uh, varies depending on insurance plans, but, um, a lot of people take advantage of that and that's nice. Yeah. So there's options for mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. So, but why PT of all the things? Why, like, did I, why did I pick that? Yeah. Cause I'm like, I watch it from the outside and I've seen it in different facilities. I like even OT stuff, PT stuff. And I remember being, we trained a bunch of doctors at, uh, John C. Lincoln, like their cardiac rehab place. Mm-hmm. And I uh, work with a bunch of ENT surgeons. And I would watch this lady. Now, she's just getting spoon-fed, the people that come there. And it looked like the most miserable experience I've ever seen in my life. Like, these dudes are coming in in jeans and work boots, you know, on their lunch break. And she sticks them on the leg extension and, like, just the basic stuff. Now, obviously, when it's your own business, it's different. And you, you build up the clientele that you see. But I watch that. And I'm like, this lady looks like she's dying inside every day. <laughs> You know, it just doesn't look, and maybe she loved that. I don't know, but I'm like, it just didn't seem fun to me. And so there's that side of it. And there's the side of it that actually like, Hey, we work with people. We make a difference. We can help move better and feel better. But of all the things like, why is, was PT the one thing? I mean, I got to go back to how I got into it in the first place. Uh, I had to have a bunch of PT myself. Um, and in between my, uh, junior and senior year of high school, I had, uh, I was diagnosed with, um, bilateral uh, hip impingements or femoral acetabular impingements, FAI. And uh, unfortunately, it was not rehabable. Um, and uh, basically, my uh, the femoral head uh, of your hip was too big around, and it was gr- it's grinding and tearing up my labrum on both of my hips. No shit. Severe pain. Was it know, just genetics? Just genetics. Shitty luck. Mm-hmm. Wow. So my mom, mom, uh, my mom hates... <laughs> Hates this, but I got my hips from my mom. She had both of her hips replaced at 55. Really? Uh-huh. And uh, so it's a form of hip dysplasia. Um, anyways, coming home from basketball practice, football practice, just in tears, uh, just severe pain. And I could even, if I, when I go back and think about it, even when I was, you know, a younger kid trying to sit like pretzel style and stuff, I could like never do it. My hips are always too tight uh, to sit in that position. It's always that limited hip internal external rotation. Hip flexion was always like painful, uh, but didn't really rear its head until you know three sport athlete going through just went through the entire summer of three days a week of weight training, two days a week speed training, had football passing leagues on like Wednesday night, had basketball summer league Tuesday Thursday night, you know all this stuff, um, and just grinding those labrums down. Uh, had to have surgery on both my hips. Um, had surgery on my right hip. Uh, in April, 10 weeks later, had surgery on my left hip in June, uh, and had to have a lot of physical therapy. And how old are you at the time? 17. Jesus, bro. Yeah. That's the worst. Yeah. So I thought it was the end of the world. You know, I'm not able to play sports. Uh, but, uh, at that time, PT, not even on my radar. I was thinking something business, going to business school, like all my uh, siblings and stuff like that. And, uh, it at least opened my eyes to, uh, the medical field and a career of interest, Became pretty tight with my PT since I had to spend so much time uh, in there. And uh, still wasn't sold on it, like I said, but I was interested in the medical field. And then it was doing lots of shadowing and stuff like that. And uh, and then doing that fellowship to kind of rule out medical school. And I just viewed PT as uh, something that I thought I'd be good at and that I uh, could be happy doing. And uh, that's what maybe made the decision. Um. And uh, went through PT school, 
was happy I was in there, was enjoying it, uh, got out, all excited to start practicing. Uh, and it didn't take long uh, for me to not be very happy. Because um, we were at a PT mill? Yeah. I mean, for people who don't know, I mean, you can explain it if you want to, but it's basically you show up and you see a shit ton of people every single day. Most of the time, you'll, you have a physician, but you get passed off to an assistant relatively quick because that guy has got to see X amount of people per day. And that's basically how the business model is profitable. It's how your hospital is profitable. We have CFOs here. You work out with them on Sunday, whether you know it or not. Like, they'll break down the economics for you. And when you start to understand it, you're like, oh, this whole thing is fucked. Dude. Yep, yep. And again, it's not a, it's a, because it's a business. Like, you're in the business of helping people, but the number one thing is to make money. Mm -hmm. And that's just reality for everybody who doesn't know. Yeah. Well, what triggered it was reimbursement rates have continued to decline. You've seen this in dent. You, know, you see, dentists are dealing with it. Yeah. Um, uh, doctors are dealing with it. PTs are dealing with it. So if let's just say you hundred dollars, uh, say you bill a hundred dollars a visit. When I got into the prof profession, you know your Blue Crosses, uh, United Health, Cigna's would pay like, you know, maybe let's call it 90 percent of that hundred dollars. Some of those insurances are down to like fifty-five percent, and so if you're cutting reimbursement by that much. You got to push volume. You got to see more patients in. And so I was scheduled a patient every 15 minutes, uh, sometimes double booked. So that means seven and a half minutes. And it's like, bro, how does your brain even like, what is the process even like? Like, how do you even look at intake forms? And even us, like, cause if I think about how, like, we do, I do very little uh, training now with individuals one on one. We got the people we like and it's cool. And I like it. It keeps me normal. It's fun. And the people we have are all fucking great. And we see them on half-hour increments. So mm -hmm. 10 o'clock, 10, 30, 11, that's kind of how I stack my day. And they bleed into each other, and they kind of all know each other, and it's fine. But their programs are basically set. And I only have – and that's like I really only do it like two days a week. The other days we don't do it. So I have days in between where I can look at them and say, okay, if I have like seven people in a whole day, mm -hmm. and that would be – but that's – Twice a week, essentially. It's not that hard to do. And it's the same seven people on Tuesday. It's the same seven people on Thursday. How the fuck do you do 20 people in a, single, in a single day? Uh, I mean, you're, you're doing yeah. the best you can, obviously. Doing the best you can. I, you know, I tried to provide the best uh, care. And, and uh, can you get some results? Yeah, you can. But uh, I would say it's going to take a lot longer to get results. And you're just not providing a very high quality of care. Basically, it looks like a patient comes in. You know, let's, let's look at, I guess, you know, your typical follow-up session. You know, so this is after the initial evaluation is done and you've established a plan of care and, you know, you want them to come back three times a week for four to six weeks or whatever because uh, you're trying to see them as many times as possible. Because um, they're, 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 sometimes their insurance pays for 20 yeah. whatever visits or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, they come in and I say, you know, you, you, you know how did you respond to the last treatment? You better, worse, same. You know, what's, uh, are we making some progress? Are we going in the right direction? Great. Uh, provide a few minutes of some manual intervention, uh, whether that's uh, some type of soft tissue, you know, mobilization or joint mobilization or manipulation, you know, maybe some, you know, dry needling or something for a few minutes. And then uh, you have a, you know, an exercise program that you prescribed and uh, a sheet of know, paper. Not a sheet of paper that yep. you have. You know, maybe you update a, a couple exercises, maybe add a couple exercises, 
um, progress resistance or something like that, and you pass them off to your technician, and they take them through it. And the, uh, and the, the next. And the tech has the same as you, or, just as many people or more. Uh, so the tech is seeing all of my patients. Yeah. So if I'm seeing every patient every 15 minutes, and if the patient's in there, you know, for about an hour, that means that they got you know four or five patients that they're supervising, um, you know, running them through their exercise program. All right, you got three sets of ten clamshells now, and oh, you got three sets of ten bridges now, and you got six planks for 30 it, it, seconds. It's like trying to train like a hundred people at once, like individually though. Mm-hmm. Impossible. Yeah. That's crazy to you. Like how long are you doing it until you're like, yeah, this is kind of fucked. Uh, like you know, a, a month. I mean, I made it, you know, a couple years, uh, where, uh, it was all right. And you're, you're going through it. And, uh, but then it just, uh, you know, probably a couple years. And then the last two years that I was in it, my poor wife, man, I was coming home, just nasty mood, just not happy. You know, I'm like, I just went through all this school. I thought this was the profession I wanted to do. Like, I'm not happy. I'm miserable. Uh, you know, what do I do now? Um, and so, uh, had to make a change and, um, uh, pulled the trigger to open my own practice. And what really made that happen is, you know, they're like a, they were like a franchise type model and they wanted me to, uh, open a, a brand new clinic and be clinic director and pay a whole bunch of cash, become partner. And, uh, so you're a percentage owner, but you're not calling the shots. I mean, you're not, you're still running that model. Because it's uh, profitable. Yeah. So, like, in those systems, like, does everybody know it's trash? Like, generally. Like, everybody knows it's, like, this is kind of shit, but this is just the game. I don't know how you don't. Yeah. Like, you have to be an idiot. Like, I mean, because I think, I don't know if a normal person, like, people who listen to this are probably different because typically they exercise or fitness people, they're going to invest money into it. But a normal Joe who just works at, like, UPS or something and goes in, he's like, oh, this, this my PT, like, really is going to help me. And they might want to. But the game is so rigged, it's like they're really, not that they can't help you, but in, in anything, you have to do so much on your own. But when there's no dialogue really between you, because like you can't possibly remember like what Rick's issue is. I mean, you can look at the sheet, but you're like, I don't know if it's really improving or not, because I'm like, I just saw 80 people since the last time I saw them, yeah. which is wild. Yeah. But then if you become like an owner in one of these places, is it, it's more advantageous to you because you make more money. 100%. Yeah. He's got more piece of the pie now. Yeah. You've got a piece of the pie now. And do PTs make okay money working at these places? Okay. Yeah. But there's a ceiling because reality is if you're a super skilled PT and you've got a bunch of years of experience, the service that you're providing, is it going to be able to be that much different than a brand new grad in, in, in a few minutes? No. No. Minimum. So then so then these companies, if you're there for a long time and you keep, you know, you, you know I want more money this year. I want a bonus or I want this or I want, you know, a percentage of my billing or something like that. Do they, would they rather do that or would they rather sign another new grad that they can start at an entry level salary? Cause they don't care. Well, that's how franchises work in the world. You hire the lowest common denominator to be profitable. That's all Walmart, Starbucks, mm-hmm. no offense to anybody, but that's, this is, this is facts. This is the truth. Yep. These places are no different. Yeah. Wild dude. So, but, you know, there are a lot of PTs that are perfectly happy and and love that model and are happy practicing that way and are, you know, happy showing up, showing up from 
you know, doing their nine to five and, and uh, going home at night and worrying, you know, not having to worry about marketing or running a business or, you know, they're happy with the salary that they're making. For sure. Um, and uh, if you ask them if they're happy, they'll tell you, yeah. And so that's great. It wasn't for me. Yeah. And so when, how do you decide like, hey, I'm going to actually like do my own thing? Because for most people, it's pretty daunting. And again, it's, there's a difference between like, I'm the practitioner and I'm, I mean, the E-Myth, the Michael Gerber famous book for people who listen to it, he does three phases. There's multiple hats, but it's like, I'm the practitioner, I'm the manager, I'm the owner. And when you do your own thing, you're basically everything. You're the accountant, you're the trash man, you're the financial advisor until you can pay people to do these things, obviously. But um, at first you do it all. So what was the thing where you're like, you know what? I can't do this anymore as a practitioner. This is not the best service I can give. And I either I have enough money or I have an opportunity to do it myself. Uh, I was uh, um, trying to get my ducks in a row to pull a trigger. I was starting to look, first step was look at real estate, uh, try to find a space to do it. And, you know, try to, f- I wrote a business plan, you know, what is this going to look like, you know, uh, what are, you know, upfront expenses, you know, what equipment are you going to need? Uh, how much space do you need? You know, how, how is this model going to look in terms of billing and, you know, all that stuff. And, and, uh, since there's no reason to reinvent the wheel, I talked to somebody who'd already done it. Um, and so there's a guy here in the Valley that, uh, had a, had a practice that, uh, he was doing his own thing. And I reached out to him. I said, Hey, can I just pick your brain? And would you be willing to, you know, share with me how I make this jump. Uh, and, uh, and that's, that helped a ton, you know, just in terms of, you know, the logistics part in terms of, you know, you got to get, you know, malpractice insurance and you're, you got to get, um, you know, software to do your billing and your scheduling and stuff like that. And, um, and his big advice, cause I was looking at large real estate with a big, scary overhead and rent. And that was what was keeping me from pulling the trigger. And his advice over and over and over was keep your nut low, no matter what, just keep your nut low. Smart dude. And, uh, best advice I've ever had. Um, and so I was working out in a gym. So COVID hit all the gyms closed down and, uh, uh, my wife started working out of the gym that opened up, um, just up the road here, uh, at glory gains gym. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of the larger, uh, you know, mountainside fitnesses, EOS, Lifetime, they have, you know, still closed just due to more eyes on them. And uh, she started going to the gym, and and uh, not many other gyms were open, so I started going there and and uh, met the owner, and he had some offices in the gym, and I uh, told him I was, you know, what I was trying to do, and he's like, well, how much space do you need? Um, and he had a in an office that would fit a table, and. Uh, He's like, why don't you pull your trigger and start it here? And so that, uh, that's what helped, you know, just allowed me to make the jump. So I have a treatment room, uh, nut was low and, uh, had access to the entire gym and all of its equipment, which you know I didn't need to buy. And, uh, that was a good place to start. Nice dude. And that's been how long now? Just over two years. Nice. Basically May 1st, 2021. And do you do, is it all in person? Do you stuff, uh, like digitally via zoom or is it all like in house? All in person. Um, so, you know, I, I practiced over in Paradise Valley for uh, three years. So I had, it was important. Uh, the other big piece of advice that that PTI I talked to said, when you make the jump, you need to have 
uh, he said like 15 clients. He said, you got to have 15 clients that you're going to bring, bring with you. Otherwise it's, uh, it's going to be rough starting. And so, um, you know, I had a pretty good following of, of clients that saw me on a somewhat regular basis over there. And so when I made the jump, they followed. And then, uh, just being in the gym, I kind of became the go-to PT, um, you know, for any, uh, gym members, which was, which was great. Uh, but everything I do is in person. Um, you know, I have social media where I, you know, um, provide some, you know, mobility flows and, and stuff like that or corrective exercises. Um, but otherwise I don't have, um, any digital stuff at this time. Just hand to hand. Hand on hand. Yep. Yep. So how do you balance like you're the practitioner, but also like the business owner part of it? Cause for a lot of people, like if it's, you know, it's similar to the world that I live in. It's really, all these industries are the same. The, the model's the same. It works the same for the most part. We just can scale way bigger, yep. way faster. Um, but when you look at it, it's like, okay, I'm the practitioner and that might be the part that I like, but at some point, like you can only do that so much until like, well, I have to run it like a business too. And that's where like a lot of people tend to fuck up. It's like, well, I'm great with this, but I don't know anything about money or marketing or sales or follow-up. So like, how was, was that as you start? Cause you started from, I don't know, did you have zero understanding of like the business part of it? I mean, you saw stuff when you're there, obviously, but you never ran it on your own. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still learning, uh, you know, only a, you know, a couple of years into it, but, uh, I mean, it's kind of P and L, right? I mean, you got, uh, uh, it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. You got income coming in, you got expenses. You try to keep your expenses low. Uh, you know, I figured out what, you know, rate, uh, you know, I was going to charge, um, and, uh, you know, try to fill my schedule as full as I can. And then, uh, then you got to figure out how are you going to get new clients in the door? Um, and so what are going to be the most effective, efficient marketing strategies, uh, I've tried a bunch that have not turned out, you know, I remember hearing you talking about, you know, going door to door, knocking on different businesses, handing out flyers. And it's like all, yeah. all those probably ended up in the trash. I, um, I have two, where do I have this week alone? I have, there's some little bags right up there <laughs> and there's some flyers right there. This is a massage place of something. This is a doctor. She's a chiropractor, very nice girl. Um, both of them came in and interrupted my workouts um, when I'm here. Yesterday I was here with Esmeralda, our cleaning lady, working out. I talked to this girl, and this one was the other day. And I'm not saying, like, and the girl messaged me on Instagram. She's this, the one doctor, I forget her name. Um, I can't see that far. She, like, sent me a message on IG, very friendly, super nice follow-up. But I'm like, maybe I'll go there. Like, But odds are I probably won't. And this other person, it's like a massage place, yeah. which I'm sure it's great. Um, but it's just tough, dude. Number one referral source is always word of mouth and it's, it's all about relationships. So you treat somebody and you get them results. They're going to tell their friends or family members or coworkers. Uh, and, uh, but you gotta make a, a, a personal connection. Um, someone just randomly knocking on a business door and just saying, Hey, send me patients. Why should they send you patients? You know, they don't know you. That's why anytime I meet someone, um, I tell them, Hey, if you ever need something, come see me, uh, experience what I have to offer. Uh, so you can at least speak to the experience. Uh, cause otherwise, you know, these people have their valued clients or, uh, customers or whatever, you know, they're not going to send those, you know, valuable people to someone that they've never met. No, it's pretty rare. 
for sure. The off the street stuff is really rough. Yeah, I would not. I mean, it's a great. I respect the hustle, but yeah. it's just a. It's a low. It's a low. But who knows? Maybe yeah. these guys will be great. I don't know. So in two years, uh, my philosophy has always been just uh, provide a product or a service uh, that is not offered somewhere else. Get results, and word of mouth is going to spread. And so it's just grown that way for me. And I think for people to have like to have the fitness relationships, like being you're in a gym where mm-hmm. people do dumb shit, so it tends to work out in your favor. Yeah, that CrossFit place would probably be the best. Oh man, no, no offense to CrossFit, but yeah, it's just. And I'm not bagging on it for people. Like if you love it, it's great. I'm like, but you're doing high volume Olympic l- style loading for speed and time. Yep, it's like it's an extreme sport. Like as fast and as heavy as you possibly can do it with basically just reckless abandon. So yeah, it's a good recipe. Mm-hmm. So if I was asked, like, what's the best thing about like PT, like the thing that you you like the most, or why you keep doing it? Because for most people, it's like to do something. I said this the other day to somebody. I'm like, to do something for like a year is not that hard to do, or like to get somewhere. Like, hey, I want to get six pack abs or become a millionaire, whatever your thing is. I'm like, it's not necessarily that hard to do it it's the sustained doing it over and over and over so for you like what is the the best thing about it the best thing for me was uh you know when when i finished pt school and you you know you got this big shiny fancy doctorate of physical therapy which is awesome uh but it is still such a general degree um i mean you can practice in pediatrics and geriatrics inpatient acute care uh, cardiopulmonary rehab, uh, stroke, spinal cord, brain injury. I mean, so much stuff, right? My interest was always in sports medicine, orthopedics, and that's all I wanted to treat. So I thought it made sense to me to do an orthopedic residency and become a board certified orthopedic specialist. So that's what I did. Um, cause I wanted to be the best of the best in ortho and sports med. And, you know, if you, if you have to, you know, go and see anybody for anything. Would you rather go to a generalist or a specialist in that topic? Right. Um, and so I wanted to provide a higher level of physical therapy. And so when something happens and you got an ache or a pain or an injury, what are your options? Your options are go and see a doctor who's probably going to say, I don't know, go see a physical therapist, have them evaluate it. And you know, you know, you've got your options or you can go to a mill or you, there's guys like me that are providing, you know, practices similar to mine. Um, or there's take anti-inflammatories. There's, uh, you know, um, just take Oxycontin, bro. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Have you seen that painkiller on Netflix? Not yet. Uh, we're on episode, I know the whole story already. It's the Purdue Pharma. We're on episode three of six. It is so fucked, dude. Like the fact that that shit exists is just wild as hell but yeah. to the point like and i'm watching it and i try to like always like not pass judgment because like i didn't live i mean i was a kid in like 1996 97 98 is when this is coming to, to fruition they have all the reps and again we have friends that are pharmaceutical reps here and medical device reps typically they're attractive former athletes tends to be just that's the fucking world um but these girls are going to these you know uh physicians offices over and over and, over, and it's predominantly males I think it's like 80 some percent of the physicians are for guys and i don't it's obviously you know up to the physician to like do all the homework but again their job is impossible so they're being told like these drugs are like safe and effective and like all this shit and it's like the addiction rate is only one percent even though they're not 
testing for addiction rate. <laughs> and they're giving these people like 20, 40, 60, 80 milligram like oxys, like multiples per day. And the people are just like fucked. And I'm like, to your point, I think sometimes that's just the default for a physician that is overrun and they just they have too many people and they have too many things and they just want to give you a solution or a temporary band-aid, I guess. And I, I don't mean to, to say it like this because there's amazing doctors out there too, but if you know like human psychology and what people are willing to do because we, we watch it here, most people, and I'm generalizing, don't want to do all of the hard shit. Like, hey, man, go to PT, do all these things, whatever. A lot of people are like, what's the surgery? What's the pills? Even though, and that's... A lot of times that doesn't even fix the problem, and sometimes it exacerbates and makes it worse, and, and typically it does. And that's kind of the tough place that they're in, I would guess. But, so, okay, so yeah, it's today. I mean, that's spot on. People want a quick fix, so they want to maybe take something that can fix it. They want to go and have... Or mask it. Or, or, or they want to pass some type of passive treatment. So you can find all kinds of different types of snake oil. Oh, yeah, this will fix it. Or, you know, uh, go and lay under this light or this fi- this will fix it or you know this type of energy waves and this will fi- fix it and uh you know or they'll be you know prescribed all this mobility i mean i remember you talking about on a, a podcast a few ago that was you said something like you felt like you know maybe 90 percent of aches and pains could be fixed with just regular mobility work stretching you know things like that and i agree with that but people don't want to do it themselves they want passive treatment but I feel like people get stuck in terms of something happens. Where do I go? What do I do? And how do I not get stuck in the spiral of, you know, just being told so many different things. And there's so many things that are on the internet of dude, everyone's given their advice. Oh, you got to do this. You got to do this. I feel like where I um, shine is people coming to me with their issue. I can diagnose it, uh, you know, assess it, diagnose it, identify the issue and then prescribe exactly what needs to happen, whether that's a combination of manual work, uh, plus always adding corrective exercises or mobility work. For sure. And if you can set it up and uh, so that they are successful, you know, so not bombarding them with, hey, here's 15 exercises that you need to do or 15 mobility exercises, they're not going to do it. No. Nope. Research shows that if you give more than three, not going to happen. So you give them three movements to do, you need to do this regularly and you're going to see a change. Um, and so I can just, uh, what keeps it fresh is I can treat so many different things. So many things that, you know, walk in the door, um, and, uh, can help a lot of people and get results fast. And that's what, that's what I love about PT. And like the worst part, uh, the worst part, uh, is probably kind of where I'm at right now in terms of, uh, the business side, how to scale it. Um, you just need to make another you, basically. Yeah, yeah. But it's also, I mean... It's I've been over this. It's not really that easy to do. I mean, it's exciting. It's a good thing. Um, but just figuring out how to do it. Um, you know, I'm getting to the point where I'm I'm pretty full and I'm, you know, booked out uh, a couple weeks. And and so it really is probably time to be able to, you know, find another PT that uh, practices pretty similar to me and um, grow this thing and find another location. And um, that's probably the, the toughest thing. And then probably number two is um, finding that balance between uh, home life and and the business and being able to shut it off because there's always something to do, uh, whether that's you know writing a a newsletter, you're writing the next newsletter, making the next Instagram post, uh, you know uh, 
know, responding to clients and emails and stuff like that. And, and, uh, you know, there's only so much uh, time in the day to see clients. And then when you get home, just being able to shut it off. And I got a, uh, eight month old baby boy at home. So just trying to be able to, uh, find that balance between that and my wife and business is probably the, the hardest or the worst part as well. Basically impossible. Yeah. I mean, if I had an answer for you, dude, I'd give it to you, but I sure as fuck don't got it, man. Yeah. And if you go on another place with another guy, it probably won't make it any easier for sure, dude. But that's life. I mean, that's business, right? Like, the more stress you're willing to take on, the more money you can make. That's just reality. Like, you look at the people who make the most money, they typically can handle the most stress, and they have the worst balance, probably. But they don't need it, or they don't want it, or they don't give a fuck about it. Like, it's just like... I'll say it all the time, like the billionaires probably aren't like dads of the year, like, but there's a price they pay. Yeah. And the dad of the year probably isn't making two million bucks a year. Like, it's just that's and when it's your own stuff, it's like the impossibility of doing it. Like, hey, let me create this thing from my brain and put it out into the world and like make it work and run and mm-hmm. like be good at the actual. Not even like the, the being like the, the manual manipulation and all of the things you have to learn, because there's 10 modalities inside of that. And then diagnosing all the problems and then like not bringing your personal shit into work and always being a good person and then always marketing and always selling and like, and it never stops. Yeah. Cause if it does, then you don't make any money and there's no business. Yeah. Like that's the relentlessness of it. But again, if you like it. Well, I do. And so that's what you do. Um, you know, one day, uh, you know, all I can think about is how to grow, how to, you know, um, how to scale it. And then the next day I'm like, well, how much is enough? Um, I've got, you know, good work-life balance. I'm able to pay the bills. I'm able to put a little bit away and save a little bit. Um, you know, how much, how much more do I need? Uh, and I love what I do. I got balance. Like I said, um, sometimes that's enough. I mean, there, you can, you know, I, I talk to some people that say, man, I, you know, I remember when I started a business and I was a one man show and, and it was, and it was awesome. And then I, you know, grew it to this, but then you, you know, he lost that work-life balance and he's like, I wish I could go back. It was just so simple. It was just me, you know? And, uh, you know, when I make a little bit less, yeah, but, um, it's all about what do you value and, and what's most important to you? I want to be a part of my kid's life. I want to have another one. Um, and, uh, I'm happy doing what I'm doing right now and I don't want that to change. Uh, you know, I still, I think it's rare, uh, to people wake up and, uh, most people don't love what they do. No, most, sure. then most people hate it. No. Yeah. And I used to dread going into work every single day. Uh, when I first started practicing, I'm excited to go to work every day. Um, I don't dread it. I love my weekends. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I love what I do and I'm still excited to go and I don't dread it. Um, and, uh, you know, sure, there's some long days and you're tired by the end of it, but um, still passionate about it. I still love what I do. When you can control it, where if it's if it's you and three other PT guys and two assistants, now they have to be awesome. And if they suck or one of them leaves, it's like, well, fuck, dude. Like, now what do we do? Mm-hmm. To me, it's always like when people would ask, but before the Internet became our thing here, they're like, hey, would you do another location? And I'm like, do you know how much fucking money? They would have, I would have to make to do that. Like, because I can't control the quality of it. I'm not physically there. I can't see the people. They'll never meet me. My name is attached to it. And I'm like, how do I know what the fuck they're doing? And to think someone would care as much as me 
impo- impossible. Like even your wife, like, and my wife is a huge part of what we do here. There's no way she can give a shit as much as I do. And like, and that's her and she's connected to it in every way possible. I'm going to get like Ricky over here to like give a shit. And like, he might love it, but like, if it's not his, like, does he really care? Mm-hmm. And that's the tough part where it's like, okay, if it's a shit ton more money, I'm like, okay, maybe. But it like, it has to be a huge, like a huge number. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, like the stress to me, I'm like, what is it about? Like, what are we doing? Right. But that's me though. Yeah. And so for the people you treat though, like what's the, um, like the common people you see, I guess, are like the biggest demo like yep. right now. I see about, uh, uh, I like numbers, so I keep, keep track of stuff in like an Excel spreadsheet. I see about 20% lumbar spine or low back pain. And see, like, what's the cause? Uh, Sitting? Usually, a lot of time it's, uh, it's uh, lack of mobility. It's uh, sedentary lifestyles, poor posture, muscle imbalance, weak core. Probably is, you know, and then, you know, they go out and they, they uh, you know, maybe they go and move some furniture and try to lift a couch and, uh, and, uh, they're hypomobile, they're tight, uh, don't engage their core and they irritate a disc or they piss off a facet joint, uh, or they, you know, pull strain a muscle. Um, and, uh, their solution is, you know, typically people will take some ibuprofen, they'll, you know, slap ice or heat on it. Right. And, and then not move at all. And then hope that it goes away in a couple weeks and not move. And it's like, Okay, then a couple of weeks later, now we've got people that haven't moved that are even more stiff, more hypermobile. Now we've got imbalance. Now you've been, um, you know, compensating, whether it's with the way that you're lifting or the way that you're walking. Uh, and uh, now you've maybe created some other issues. So, yeah, kind of that nonspecific low back pain. Uh, but, I mean, the vast majority of them are an irritated disc, uh, which is, you know, it can be just irritated and a little swollen it could be a bulge or it could be a herniation uh the facet joint is is you know uh, where the spine connects to uh, the vertebrae above and below it those facet joints need to slide and glide and be able to open and close and so a lot of times there's either an opening or a closing restriction or there's just uh tightness at that facet joint uh or there's you know muscle tightness you might have a trigger point or a knot and like you know multifidus muscle is pretty common um, stuff like that. Isn't it crazy? Like most, like, I don't know if I read this or maybe like Dr. G told me this, like 90 some percent of like low back injuries are like, un, like unidentified or like basically just sitting on your fucking ass. And if you think about like how crazy it is, like when you watch like something where you think it would cause like this stuff, and this is how the people being immobile is really this huge issue. Like you look at like rowing, for example, if you think about it, and like how the mechanics of it, if it's 70% your legs, 30% your back, 10% your arms, if you're really mechanically perfect, which in the movie Painkiller, the girl is rowing and she's fucking atrocious. And it's like, I have to pause it and Heather goes, I knew you're going to do this. I go, rowing is the hardest technical thing to teach here, short of like Olympic lifting at scale, because it is not a natural movement. You're on a sliding horizontal seat and it's pushing, it's not pulling. And people think that they're going to grab a chain and push away. And it's just atrocious to fucking watch. Um, and most fitness people are awful at rowing. Sorry, that's my rant there. I go, but like when you watch it from afar, it's just constant rounding and rounding and rounding and rounding and rounding. Yet I have, and I'm sure it happens. I've never heard anybody have a low back injury from rowing. I've never fucking seen it. I've been doing this almost 18 years we teach it here perfectly, even though people are not perfect at it yet. I've never seen it. 
yet I'll see people just doing basic human shit or doing nothing where the low back hurts, which is wild to me. Yeah. Which leads me to believe like your fine your spine is and should be flexible. And now I'm not saying like load it under range and round the shit out of it. I go, but your lumbar spine, your thoracic spine, your teeth, it should be able to round and move. Oh yeah. Like that's what it is. But most people, there's restrictions in multiple places. Mm-hmm. And then here we have a problem. Yep. And shitty posture. Mm-hmm. And your pelvis will tilt forward. I could talk about it all day. Yep. But it's bad, dude. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of low back. Uh, about 20%, 20% uh, probably cervical spine, thoracic stuff. So I see about 40% spine-related uh, issues. Yeah. Um, and then 20% shoulder, uh, which is, you know, uh, number one thing is probably a rotator cuff impingement is what's walking in the door. And what is the cause for most people? <sighs> Typically, you have uh, overactive upper trap, and you've got weak uh, scapular uh, depressors, so middle and lower trap. Uh, the shoulder is the most mobile joint? Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. Of I all. Mean, you think about all the different amazing motion and uh, things that the shoulder can do. I mean, it's a ball and socket joint like your hip, but I mean, your hip is a big, deep acetabulum ball and socket. Your shoulder is like a golf ball sitting alongside a tee. You can do some wild like shit. And, uh, you know, you got a labrum that's providing a little bit of stability, and then you got your four rotator cuff muscles wrapped around it, but you got all this amazing mobility. But most people can't even lift their arms overhead. Like at full extension. Yeah, Most like, people don't hang. Yeah, like you're familiar with like the FMS screening and stuff. What do you think of FMS? I think it's a uh, very broad, you can maybe identify some glaring things, yeah. but I don't put a lot of stock in it. No offense, Gray. Um, well, I don't think half the people in the NFL could pass it. Like we went through it. Like me, uh, I went through with Dave and Ben, and we're younger, so I was like, I was maybe 30, maybe. Ben is six fucking nine, and he passed it. I didn't. Dave didn't. <laughs> Dave squats fucking 400 pounds, or he did, yeah. in his prime, like in the bucket, and everything anatomically, like perfect. And I'm like, but it was like, hey, my overhead restriction is just a little bit tight because my lats are too tight, or whatever it may be. Yeah. And I'm like, so am I fucked? Yeah. No. It's just a gross screen. I go, but there is good things about it, for sure. But most people, when you watch them, like, that's why I'm not a fan of, like, I could talk about this shit all day overhead squatting for people with the barbell you have most people ankle knee hip shoulder they're all fucked none of them are great your t-spine is super tight and now we're going to have you put an olympic bar overhead under load what could possibly go wrong like it seems like an impossible move for most humans Dude, job security right there you know what i mean though like when you <laughs> like again a normal person doesn't understand like when you watch the guys like friends of ours who like we're in the Olympics, like for lifting, how fucking technical and great they are. Mm-hmm. And to watch a normal person do that just seems kind of wild. Yeah. You just don't realize, uh, like you said, all the things that need to be uh, right in order to perform that correctly. If you don't have one of those things, ankle, hip, thoracic, shoulder mobility, you're not going to be able to do it correctly. You're going to have poor form. Form's going to fail. And now you're susceptible to injury. And if you were to say like, we always talk about this, uh, BJ and I, I think it'll be here next week, actually. Um, the ankle being the most important joint for quality of life. Just because I'm like, if your ankle sucks, like it's trash, and you can't walk. And if you can't walk, your life is basically garbage. But yet, of all the things, it's probably the thing people spend the least time doing or understanding like how the restriction there can cause issues like up the chain. Yep. 
And it's impossible. We could talk about this all day because you'll mm-hmm. never be able to fix everything. Yeah. Um, you probably need like two hours a day, every day. And even then, I don't know if it's enough to fix all of your shit through life. If you did two hours a day, you'd probably be okay. Uh, to be perfect. I just, you know, uh, I love your term or your phrase, uh, microdosing mobility. I, I mean, uh, I'd love to talk to you about how you're feeling with that. I mean, hour of mobility since, what, February something, right? February the 15th. and Six um, months and three days. Yeah, and definitely want to talk about your back injury and stuff, but... Um, People don't, I mean, your average person doesn't have an hour to do that. So if you can pick one area to focus on today, all right, we're going to focus on, you're going to do your uh, 10, 15 minutes of ankle mobility today. Maybe that's two or three mobility movements. And then maybe the next day you focus on two or three mobility exercises for 15 minutes or something like that. Because you're not going to be able to do them all in one day. People just don't have the time. But if you, you know, identify a couple areas of, you know, hypomobility or mobility deficit, you just got to make it uh, so that it's going to be, they're going to be successful at doing it. If you give them too much, it's not going to happen. But maybe work on this today, work on, you know, hip the next day, maybe work on T-spine the following day. If we're, if we're using like, you know, an overhead squat, for an example, and then maybe we work on shoulder the following day, it's just not going to work to have them try to do it all at once. No, it's impossible. Uh, we, the program that we'll put out, and we have two programs that we'll do. One is like a rebuilt program, which is super detailed. We did a bunch of 20 minute, like follow along flows that anybody could do. But awesome. again, 20 minutes is the cycles will do that. Um, the microdosing program we will put out probably the end of the year. There were just five minute rips every day. I think it's, I think it's maybe 18 different individual videos that we'll do. I mean, we coined it because of what we would do here. Where my buddy BJ Gadur would do every hour on the hour of hangs. So hang one minute at 8 o'clock, one minute at 9 o'clock. Now he works from his house with the pull-up bars and all the stuff. It goes so he can do it. Mm-hmm. If you work from home, buy a $40 fucking pull-up bar and you could do the same thing. It doesn't mean like dead hang with your legs hanging. You can just let them drag. There's a million variations. We do videos on all these. But even like, hey, do I have five minutes here? Or I'm mm-hmm. pumping gas at the gas station. Can I just put my foot up and just stretch my fucking soleus? Like, can I let my calves actually stretch? Can I reach down and touch my toes? Like, open up my hamstrings? Like, really simple shit. And if you could find those little minutes in the day and those interventions, like, those minutes do add up. 100%. Or, like, Netflix and stretch, basically. But, again, I know what normal people do, and they're just not willing to sit on the floor. Like, if you just sit, like, for most people, if you just sit on the floor... And say, I'm going to watch this TV show sitting on the floor. The odds of you sitting in the exact same position for 30 minutes is almost zero. And I'm telling you this because I've done it a million times. And even if you're mobile, it's just not comfortable. Even sitting cross-legged in the exact same way for 30 minutes, you'll want to move into some version of like a hamstring stretch or 90-90s or some variation of that. Or as I lean through and just kind of rotate through the lower back, upper back, that alone would help most people just sitting on the floor. Mm Mm-hmm but it's convincing them to do it and the power of doing it because it's not, it's why I'll always say like, you know, uh, like pre-workout will always outsell like greens or something because you can fucking feel it. And the greens, it's not like what you can feel, it's what you can't feel. And that's to me really what mobility is. It's not like doing it's going to make you fucking jacked and shredded. I go, but it'll allow you to be that, but allow you to not feel like a bag of shit. And to me, I go, that is everything. Mm-hmm. 
but it doesn't happen in a day. No. It doesn't happen in a week. It takes time. Yeah. True, uh, you know, some of the studies that have uh, been done see, to see true tissue length change, which is what we call flexibility, or, or true mobility change, you got to do stretching or mobility for 20 to 30 minutes a day, five days a week for four to six weeks to see true tissue length change. I mean, seems fine to me. Now, I'm not saying that if you stretch your hamstrings, you're not going to feel like your hamstrings are more loose right away, 100%. But people think that they, oh, I'm going to stretch my hamstrings for five minutes today and I'm going to be more flexible. Uh, you got to do it consistently. So you got to do it when you're brushing your teeth, throw your leg up on the counter. You got to do it when you're pumping gas. You got to, you know, if you're at a, uh, an office or something like that and you can every hour on the hour kick out a chair and pop up that leg and just, you know, stretch out that hamstring and just let those little minutes throughout the day add up. Um, that's how you're going to make a difference. It's, um, they're little things, the stand up desks and there are things that help and like bring in, I mean, buy an Eric's pad and do like half kneeling email returns or when you're doing social media scrolling, like you can be in a pancake, like there's a million ways to do it. It's just getting people to understand, like if, again, I'm not saying make an hour a day commitment, it's way too much. I go, but a five, 10 minute intervention every day for 300 days, mm -hmm. it will be better. The problem is like these guys practice so many things outside of it. Now we say like, you're always practicing. Like you're practicing your shitty posture at work and like when you check your phone and when you panic and when you're stressed. And it's like when you start to look at the mechanics, like we always say the simple things. If it's back stuff is the most common thing we see here for sure because it's like they lose the upper back when they sit. And if you understand how it works, you lose the lower back instantly. And if you have tension in the shoulder blades, like if you guys are listening right now and you're sitting at home, squeeze your shoulder blades if you stand up and then try to touch your fucking toes. You can't do it. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. But if I can round the upper back, I can round the lower back and like all those things start to happen. And that's fine to do in an exercise like you know, a Jefferson curl or something basic. But when you're sitting in your desk for eight hours a day and this is what the fuck we're doing. And then you get up and you're like, man, my hip flexors are super fucking tight. My hamstrings are tight. My low back is stiff. It's like you have now created five different problems you have to fix. But the problem is it didn't just do it for one day. You did it five days a week for 16 years. Mm -hmm. And now we're trying to fix that in 10 treatments. Yep. That's wild, dude. Mm -hmm. So, like, what's, a like, a misconception, I guess, about, like, maybe PT that the public might have or a normal person might have when they think of you guys? Um, well, I mean, I just think uh, a good example was, you know, just this week, uh, a new client came to see me, and uh, he went to one of the mills, uh, and was there for a week and, uh, had that experience and came to see me and, uh, we got done with the session. Um, and he's like, I'm confused. He's like, how are you a physical therapist? And I also saw a physical therapist a week ago at a different place. How are you the same profession? How are you? Have, how do you have the same degree? It's just, it's not even the same. And so Unfortunately, that's... Well, one of us is good and one of us sucks, buddy. Well, that setting just gives PT such a bad rap. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's kind of what you were speaking to at the very beginning. Um, uh, just when people think of physical therapy, they think I should only go and see a PT if I have a surgery and I have to, you know, rehab after a surgery. Or it's only for, you know, old people that um, have hip and knee replacements and, you know, 
But like, uh, when did that change, though? Like, because there was a shift. Like, I don't think people were as proactive and would go to PTs for like the myriad of things they go to now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, even when, like, when I'm in college, like, I don't think it's the same. But again, I'm talking like 2000, like five, six, right? Like, we maybe in the weight room have like two foam rollers. And people are like, what are these for? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so in the past 15 years, it's changed drastically. I think evidence, uh, research that have, been, that have been done, and then in professional and collegiate sport, how much uh, money these universities and teams have invested in trying to keep guys healthy. And because if a guy can't play on a Sunday, that's millions of dollars that that team is missing out on, right? I mean, they're paying them a lot of money. You break it down how much they're making a game, of, you know, uh, uh, for example, but I think it went down to collegiate. It went down to high school. Uh, I mean, dude, you think about, you know, when we were in high school, I mean, hydration has changed. Nutrition has changed. Uh, supplements have changed. Training has drastically changed. I mean, our coaches said, go in the weight room and lift as much as you can. And like, that's what we did. And yeah. so there've been, uh, the fitness industry, and then therefore also the rehab industry has just been uh, improved uh, with science, uh, studies, research, uh, how to be more efficient, how to be more effective, how to get better results, and then how to maintain peak performance, uh, how to accelerate rehab, um, you know, instead of just sitting on a you know, uh, I got a, a muscle strain or, uh, you know, overuse tendon injury or something like that. Instead of just rest, ice, compression, elevate, like, guess what? We got some really cool modalities that we can do that have shown to accelerate healing. And that just didn't exist years ago. When I went through PT every, uh, you know, as a, uh, well, I had PT when I was 12, but, um, I mean, every single patient was thrown on a hot pack then the PT basically gave you a massage, and then you probably got some ultrasound, maybe threw a TENS unit on you at the end, and maybe you did a couple exercises. And that's what PT was. And so the profession is just, uh, it's improved. Uh, it used to be a two-year master's degree. Now it's a three-year doctorate. The curriculum is, you know, just significantly more extensive. Um, so I think just all those advances and improvements in the profession and things that we've learned uh, have made that switch. And people, some people value it more now. It's weird. Like we do things now as humans that we never did before. Yet we're like still the unhealthiest we've ever been of all time, which is kind of wild, you know? So that's where like some days I wake up, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what is this, what is this even about, dude? Like we're in the Titanic, bro. And it's just enjoy the music as it's going down, <laughs> you know? And it's, it's hard not to feel that way because you look around at the scope of people that are just not mobile, not fit, not healthy, and just don't give a fuck, you know? And you can't control that. You can only control the people that obviously come to you. So there's people who will be older, who will be the strongest, the most mobile and the most fit they've ever been because they search it out. But for a vast population, it's just like people don't, under there's no education around it. Like for, an, I, that's, I guess what I'm asking, like a normal person, when you ask them what physical therapy is, they just envision a hospital setting. I'm going through, I'm doing my shoulder drills and that's it. Mm -hmm. Like they don't understand like a huge part of it. And I'll ask you all the things that you do do. But before that, like, do you have like a, 
like a mobility tissue work routine that you go through personally? Yeah, I mean, since I had those, uh, uh, I like to do my mobility work uh, before I work out. Um, that's just when I'm most likely to do it. When I'm, you know, when I am setting aside that time to work out is when it's, I'm is when I'm going to fit in my mobility work. Say movement prep. Yeah, I mean. Uh, and it's going to look different for everybody. You know, some people have a later start time. So best time to do it is wake up in the morning, pop down on the floor and, and start doing, you know, maybe a flow. Uh, that's not me. You know, I got an eight month old baby at you know, home. Uh, you know, I start seeing clients at seven. Good shit you know, to do. I'm not getting up at 430 to do it. But that's just that's just me. That's not what I'm going to do. So I'm and I'm not going to do it at the end of the day after I worked a full day. And, uh, you know, I got to get home. And and uh, uh, so I do it before my workouts, which uh, makes the most sense in terms of, you know, it's going to, what, what's going to make my workout feel the best. Uh, it's what's going to help prevent, you know, an injury or something like that during my workout. But I do, um, since, since I had those hip surgeries, I have to be so diligent with my hip mobility still. Um, so hip mobility flow is a part of every single one of my flows every day, but typically it's like a 15 minute flow uh, 15, 20 minute flow, just, you know, depending on how good it's feeling that day. Um, and I just hit, uh, from the very bottom, start ankle, uh, you know, really typically jamming into dorsiflexion and really working on that. Um, you know, going, going to knee and just making sure I don't have any posterior knee tightness, whether that's coming from the hamstring or the calf. Like how tight are the tops of your feet? Cause my tops of my feet are tight as fuck. They're way looser now. How many times have you sprained your ankles playing basketball? The left one, a lot. Yeah. Do you notice you have more tightness in the left ankle? Oh, for sure, dude. Dude, dude, I pulled my hamstring when I was like 20 fucking seven, and it's still to this day is not, it's not bad, but it's not the right one. Yeah. Like all those things add up over time drastically. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a nasty high, I mean, lots of lateral ankle sprains, just, you know, stepping on guys' feet, uh, coming down for rebound and stuff, but had a nasty high ankle sprain. uh, I don't know mid twenties, something like that. And so still, you know, when I assess dorsiflexion, plantar flexion, it's still stiffer in my left ankle. So I have to work on that. And so I do an ankle mobility, uh, dorsiflexion, plantar flexion, go up to the knee, make sure posterior knee just doesn't feel tight, run through. I got to, you know, my three go-to like hip mobility movements just for IRER, hip flexion. What are your um, hip ones? Um, I like to do just like the IRER switches. Yeah. And then I like to, you know, um, basically do like a half kneeling lunge into hip flexion. So you're getting a, like a, almost like a hip flexion stretch on the one hip and then you're jamming the other hip into like TFL and that shit. Mm-hmm. Up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as TFL, um, rectus femoris, um, and then just jamming that hip, uh, the other hip up into hip flexion. Um, and then, uh, um, usually on my back, a hip into external rotation, kind of stretching out glute, glute med, thing like that. Um, you do that one a lot, but, on your stomach with uh, leg up on like a bench at an incline. Oh yeah. So I like it cause you can pull on the bench. Yeah. Like you can pull and you can slide. So I think people, a lot of times they just want to rotate through the back, which is fine. I go, but if you try to slide the belly button to the hip, like and see how tight, at least mine are yeah. like how tight it is. I'm like, fuck dude. Yeah. I mean, you sort of notice like, okay, this, this side for me, like the movement prep stuff, I always think before your workouts the best, but do it mm-hmm. whenever you can. Yep. Cause that way you can assess like, okay, especially as you get older, like when you're younger and stuff hurts, it typically just goes away. When you get older, just newsflash, it fucking doesn't. Um, and then you can make it worse. Uh, so as you go through like assessing, okay, if my shoulder is tight, 
why is it tight? Is it a real problem or is it the tissue around it just causing some restriction or stiffness? And can I obviously work the way through? I was going to ask too, like, do you ever fuck with your psoas at all? Uh, not really. Bro, I do. I've never, I've never had an issue with it. Been yeah, lucky. It's the worst. Um, but when you get good at like finding it and, and moving it through space, like you do feel a thousand times better, but man, it is like, in of all the things, and this is not a plug, they're not paying me. Um, we have all the tools. Mm-hmm. This, that stupid ass so right is the best fucking one, dude. This cheap ass piece of plastic, yeah, man. Like, isn't that credible? Yeah, like the um, we have the what is the other one? The hip hook or whatever. It's, uh, I'm not familiar with that one, but it, so right we have. Yeah, the hip hook will go like iliacus, like it'll dig in, and you have like a little lever. <sighs> it's not good. Like I don't feel like I could beat the. Fu- I just don't feel like it does it. Um, it's more, That's I guess, hurt, pinpointed. Dude. Yeah, it's not pleasant. But the so right and the, that and like the mush balls, like those bigger black, like those mm-hmm. do work too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think a lot of people. When I say so as people are like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. I'm like, but if you notice like how all that stuff is connected like to the spine, like to your hips and like what havoc it can cause, or like even just like having the tissues in there, even like the fascia of your abdomen be tight and the restriction it can cause, but I know too much. So. Uh, the so as is hard to get at. I mean, obviously you've got uh, a lot of abdominal uh, structures in there as well that you got to work through. Cause I mean, it's, it inserts into the anterior part of your spine. So you think about how much crap you have, literally crap. Yeah. Well, you got organs. Well, so it's like if you go and you have someone like manually manipulate it, um, if you have to take a piss or take a shit, like they're gonna, you're going to find <laughs> they're gonna, out. And they're going to know. Yeah, real quick, dude. Yeah. Um, most people don't have issues with it. But I do think most people do have tight hip flexors. Um, and the, the entire anterior for most people is tight as fuck. And a lot of the stuff that we've seen with a lot of the spine guys we've had on is because the anterior chain is so tight, it causes low back issues for most people. Mm-hmm. But again, typically just caused by sitting. Sitting, yeah. Which is wild. Hip flexors are tight. That puts uh, anterior pelvic tilt. And then boom, push the spine down. Here we are. There we go. So yeah, ankle, posterior knee uh, run through the hips. And then uh, I do uh, basically move the lumbar through all the planes of motion, flexion, extension, rotation, up to thoracic, flexion, extension, rotation. And then I just do a couple, you know, shoulder mobility things, usually like a, a posterior capsule stretch, like a sleeper stretch. Yep. And uh, um, and then try to, you know, maybe crank out a few like wall angels and then uh, good to go. You do hangs at all? Uh, I don't do a lot of them unless I'm having a little bit of achiness in my low back. Then I will do some hangs just to provide some, you know, natural traction. Um, uh, but yeah, that's uh, you know, typically after I, I'm playing a Tuesday night basketball league, and I'm always the most stiff uh, Wednesday morning. And so if I'm go, gonna, fi- go figure, if I'm going to do hangs, it's going to be it's going to be on Wednesdays after that back just feels a little tight. And so that's when I do my hangs, but I don't do them regularly. And what um. Like, what does your training look like, like, for yourself personally? Like, how often do you train? If you uh, do 15 minutes of mobility before the workouts, like, how many days are we training? Uh, then we're working out four or five days a week for about a 45-minute workout. I try to keep it to an hour. Um, and so, you know, depending on if I'm uh, in fluffy season, uh, you know, trying to put on some mass during, like, you know, Thanksgiving, you know, all the hunting stuff, going back to the Midwest, you know, lots of mama mama's home cooking 
Uh, it's not a real healthy place in the wintertime. Right. No offense. So, no offense, Wisconsin. Well, but. I just take advantage of it then. Then I try to, you know, maybe be in a little bit more of a grow mode. So Calorie I'm surplus. Not doing any any uh, cardio, really. Um, and then workouts kind of reflect that. And then, you know, once maybe the shirt might be p- coming off in the summertime, then we start shredding a little bit yeah. um, and just uh, eat a little bit cleaner, do, uh, you know, some more high-intensity, you know, workouts like Metcons and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, loading wise, like, what do you, what's it like upper body, lower body stuff? Do you do bodybuilding style shit? Like what's your, uh, I do a split. I do like Monday back and by Tuesday, chest and try Wednesday legs. Uh, if I miss, if Wednesday can't happen, then I like to combine shoulder and leg day into one day just cause my shoulders burn out so fast. It's hard to do like an entire 45 minutes of just shoulders. So I actually like combining those two and then try to never miss a Friday arm pump. Just buys and tries. Yeah. You're on some bro shit. Yeah. 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 And then Saturday, um, uh, you know, try to do like a full body uh, hit class either Saturday or Sunday. So yeah. if it doesn't happen Saturday, then do like Sunday Metcon. Nice, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's very, it's very bro of you. Tuesday basketball night. I like it. Yeah. Um, at least you're a doctor who lifts because the ones that don't, man, I don't. I don't really listen to them. I'm sorry, bro. Like, yeah. If you're like a brain surgeon and you're like a super nerd, like I don't really give a shit. But like it was a normal, I'm like, I feel like you have to train a little bit. And not like in a negative way. Like I go to, like I've been to Dr. Russ. It's great. I see Dr. G every week. And that's not that he's like jack and steel, but he does train. He does push-ups, squats, lunges, swings, like all the functional stuff. Like I think you have to have an understanding of it to like work with people who actually fucking work out. To understand like what they want to do, otherwise I feel like there's like a disconnect. Yeah, you know I mean, what I mean. The industry, the industry is just very connected. Uh, I mean, you've got you know amazing athletic trainers like you that have such a great knowledge of mobility stuff, um, and then you know then you've got PTs that have you know I have my CSCS, my Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialty, which is like the highest fitness thing that there is f- for the most part. Yeah, but. And I'm not personal training, but I thought it was uh, a nice supplement certification to have with my physical therapy degree. I thought there was maybe a time when I'd want to be like a head PT for a D1 university, a professional sports team. I thought that'd be a cool gig. Uh, and I thought that that would be good to have that CSCS because I felt that the PT degree lacked, there was a gap. If you got a professional high performance athlete or a you know, a collegiate athlete and they've got an injury and you rehab them from their injury. So now they're pain-free, they got full range of motion. Uh, you know, they're, they're able to, you know, go through some, you know, some good workouts, but you need to get to D one or professional level of speed, explosiveness, power. There is a big gap between the knowledge that you get with physical therapy school to get that athlete ready for here. Yeah. And so I thought that the CSCS would be something that would help bridge that gap. Um, never ended up doing that, but you know, I get to work with uh, some pretty cool athletes uh, now, whether that's high school, collegiate, professional. Um, and so I'm glad I have that now, even though I'm not just in that setting. Well, that's way better. I mean, our buddy Tyler Owens is at University of Arizona, and he's a head strength and conditioning coach there. He was at Alabama for basically a decade as a player and a coach. But, dude, his schedule is fucking rough, bro. So rougher than mine. Mm-hmm. And the money ain't the same. He yeah. gets paid a shit ton. It's a great life. But, it, like, it's – yeah, he's there at 4 in yeah. the morning. And you're 
responsible for 120 knuckleheads, dude. Oh, man. I, yeah, so it's with the strength and conditioning coaches. It's with the, you know, the, the staff PTs. Yeah, games on Saturdays. Guess what? You got to be there Sunday morning to rehab all those guys. Yeah. If it's, you know, college football, for example. It's uh, a lot, dude. And then, you know, you got to travel with the team. Uh, you got to be there every day of the week for practice and weekend. So it's like uh, awesome gig. If you're a single dude or a single, you know, female PT and you want to do that, sweet. Awesome. You know, it can be fun to work with, you know, that level and, and caliber of athlete. But if you want to have a work-life balance, that's not that's not the answer. No, that's a rough – it's super cool. Super cool. But it's a different – to have the control of your own day is the best thing that there is, like the ultimate flexibility and freedom where you can dictate, yeah, I'm going to come today or I'm not going to come today, and nobody gives a shit. Like that – you earn that, obviously, but to me that's obviously way better. Uh, Eating-wise, how do you eat since you're in the health world? Yeah, man. Uh, wife and I eat very clean Monday through Friday. Uh, uh, we meal prep. Um, typically Sunday nights, uh, we make a man, we're boring, but it works. Uh, I grill a ton of chicken typically, and, uh, we love making turkey burgers. Uh, and so I eat just about a turkey burger for lunch and chicken for dinner every single day of the week. Um, but we can make it sexy in different ways. Um, and then, uh, veggies, uh, usually we'll do two or three veggies a week, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, uh, broccoli, and then, one with one of those is with lunch. One of those is with dinner, um, and then uh, usually have a piece of fruit and uh, a protein bar uh, followed uh, with for lunch, and then dinner. I've got a sweet tooth, so you know usually pound a yummy protein shake with some peanut butter. What's like the what other. protein bars you like? Um, I like Kirkland bars actually. Uh, I don't think I ever had one. Two grams of sugar, twenty one grams of protein, pretty clean, pretty good. Uh, and just for, you know, price, uh, they're, they're not bad. Uh, the quest ones are, are, uh, pretty good flavors, pretty similar, uh, breakdown there with, you know, a couple grams of sugar, but they're expensive. Um, and then on the weekends we eat whatever the hell we want. Um, cause you, you gotta live. And, uh, so eat clean through the week and then on the weekends, I'm not saying we eat like assholes on the weekends, but like, I was going to say, I'm like, you'd be like 300 pounds. No, but cause you can do a lot of damage in two days. Yeah. But like, okay, you have a burger yeah, or, but or you like, have a pizza, but like a normal person, do you let normal people do? I talked about this the other day. Like you like we're in uh, Hawaii and it's like, I don't, I'm not judging anybody. I don't give a shit what you do. These people get to the pool at like seven and they're having drinks. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, if it's 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, it's a 10-hour day. And I'm like, if you do a drink an hour, which is not hard to do, that's 10 drinks, plus all the shit that they ate. I'm like, this is normal behavior, which is fucking wild to me. Like, first of all, if I had five drinks at this point in my life, I'm asleep and my day is over. But like a normal person wakes up on Saturday and has pancakes, the rest of the day is trash. Yeah. Like the whole fucking thing is downhill. Yeah. So I'm sure you still have like guardrails, like we do. So basically, with the weekends, like one breakfast will be a fun breakfast, one lunch, and one dinner throughout the weekend. So maybe one morning we make a bunch of eggs and you know, maybe a big yummy omelet or something like that. Uh, maybe some pancakes, and then but that's only one morning of the weekend. And yeah. then you know one lunch we have something yummy, and then one dinner you know either uh, we cook something good or we go out for something. Um. But, uh, 
yeah, turkey for lunch during the week, chicken for dinner during the week, and then uh, Sunday nights we almost always have salmon uh, or some type of fish. I don't know why, but uh, we got on that routine. That's your so routine. We have Sunday night fish. Um, if we're all out of our meal prep by Friday, which happens a lot, uh, I usually have steak Friday night. That's not bad, man. It's all real shit. Protein and a veggie. It's pretty basic. Growing up, there was potatoes in there, but uh, not so yeah, much And the anymore. Midwest, dude, is just, what is it, tater tot casserole? <laughs> is that the thing? Just casseroles, but yeah, tater tot. Yeah. It's ground beef. Is it cream of mushroom soup? Tater tots? And cheese? Is that what it is? Yes. And what's the other thing? Goulash? That's the thing? That's like noodles and... And Hamburger meat. Yeah, and like... And red sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Throw some cheese on there, too. My God, man. The fact that I'm not like 400 pounds is just a miracle. But, dude, that's how my mom had to... You know, I'm the baby of four. Uh, When she'd go to the grocery store, she would buy like five or six gallons of milk when she'd go. And that would last a couple of days. Cause we, I mean, I'd pound a glass or two of milk at lunch and dinner. Uh, I mean, she was making these big calorie dense meals like goulash. And was that like uh, ham- hamburger helper shit like that? Yeah. Uh, like the re- like macaroni and cheese, like craft macaroni and cheese, spaghettios, like dude, just shit food my mm-hmm. whole life. But our metabolism, you know, your metabolism is so high as a teenage kid, and you can just about eat anything, and you're not going to put on a pound. Well, and not like, for, no, okay, not for everybody. Well, and, well, and anymore too. Like, but the activity level is so high too. Like, if you rode your bike places, like you played sports, like the output is so high as well. And nowadays, it's just not, not quite the same. But you also didn't have an iPad or an iPhone either. Right. Uh, thoughts on like foam rolling um, and just like SMR for people in general. Like, do you give a protocol to people? Do you put stock in it? Yep. Just had a patient today. Um, you know, she's got tight hip flexors. So showed her uh, a couple uh, uh, hip flexor stretches and then uh, got her rolling on the ground on, that, uh, on the foam roller. So fan of uh, you know, lacrosse ball uh, and foam rolling. If the tightness is superficial, then those things can be very effective. A lot of times the tightness is deeper than that, or it's deeper, deeper levels or layers of muscle. And if that's the case, then some of that superficial tissue work isn't going to cut it. Um, but for recovery, um, you know, after an intense leg day or, uh, you know, uh, or, you know, significant cardiovascular event, whether you're, you know, you, you hiked so many, you know, miles or you're, you did a run or a bike ride, that's where I really like you know, foam rolling and things like that for recovery um, and and to help mobilize some of that really superficial tight tissue. Um, that's when I prescribe it probably the most. Um, and if you're talking like the deeper stuff, so like, you know, different, I guess, fascial chains, like the stuff that's beneath, what are we talking like? Uh, any kind of scraping, grass and gua sha, any of that stuff? Yeah. I mean, I do, you know, I do cupping. Uh, Explain it to people. So cupping. Rever- reverse massage. So instead of pressure, it's reverse, right? So you're using suction. Uh, it looks it, gross. We have, an, we have a YouTube video. It's disgusting. Yeah, so you're sucking up skin. And, you know, if you do it over an area that someone has a lot of adipose tissue, you're full of shit. You're not sucking up any muscle then at that point. You're bringing up just skin and adipose tissue. And you're not mobilizing any 
fascia muscle or connective tissue. So cupping sucks. The idea is you're supposed to do it over an area that muscle is very superficial, you know, large area that you, know, you have, you know, muscle tightness. Uh, suck the muscle up into the cup. You hold it into that stretch. Uh, and then when you release that cup, that muscle is in a lengthened or loosened up position. So you're mobilizing muscle, fascia, and connective tissue in areas that are tight. Big misconception of it uh, that just about any time I... Uh, decide to do cupping on a patient is they say, oh, cupping, increased blood flow. And I'm like, no, no, it's not really why you do cupping. Just increasing blood flow to an area is not going to solve your mobility issue. Um, do you get some increased circulation in the area? Yeah, you know, you get those big, you know, Michael Phelps bruises, right? Yeah. Um, but the idea of why you're doing it is to increase tissue length and to mobilize that uh, that tissue by sucking it up into the cup. And what else do you do uh, other than like, you know, just the manual stuff? So I do a, a lot of joint mobilization and manipulation. Um, so mobilization is low velocity, uh, you know, providing capsular stretches or, you know, uh, stretching a, a joint in an area where there's capsular restriction or joint restriction. So uh, hips, adductors, hips and shoulders is where you're, uh, and then, you know, at the cervical spine, if you're doing a mobilization, it's low velocity, you know, sometimes a um, lower amplitude. A manipulation is a high velocity, HVLA high velocity, low amplitude thrust, right? So that's what your people think of an adjustment is what chiropractors call them. In the PT world, we call them spinal manipulations. Um, and so you're taking a segment of the spine that is stiff, hypomobile, that's not moving the way that it should. And you put a high-velocity thrust into it, and the idea is that you are freeing up that segment that's stiff. I'm not taking a segment that's out of alignment and putting it back into alignment. Um, but that's what a manipulation is. Um, and then I do a lot of dry needling. Uh, it's a very, very popular treatment that uh, provides incredibly uh, immediate relief. Um, Explain it, the difference between acupuncture and dry needling. I've had both done mm -hmm. by a traditional doctor and a acupuncture doctor. <laughs> Great dude. I don't, I, I'm not going to even say his name. I'll butcher it. Um, he's definitely different, bro. Like, he didn't give a fuck. Like, this dude is, like, putting his elbow in my spine. Like, literally in my spine, in the middle of my spine. I'm like, I don't know if this is good, dude. Well, I will say, though, the acupuncture, of all the things, if I've had, like, stiffness, um... In like a like my QL. No, obviously it's, you're talking like deep, 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 and it's hard to fucking get like in there. Uh huh. Way looser because of it for sure. Yeah. Um, and that's a that's the only time I've ever had acupuncture done. Okay. But for the people listening, like acupuncture, dry needling, major differences. Okay. And what and what dry needling is. Yep. So uh, traditional acupuncture, because now we're starting to get some overlap a little bit. You've gotten some acupunctures. Uh, acupuncturists that are that are performing kind of hybrid acupuncture dry needling and then you've got some people that were trained in dry needling like me that uh i'm not gonna say i do any acupuncture but i'll explain it so because the, the training is different it is uh, acupuncture it takes longer is that right uh yeah you go through uh an acupuncture uh school um is my understanding uh and that may have changed um uh, dry needling, uh, you, 
basically you're looking at PTs, chiropractors, and physician assistants are uh, really the only people that are um, uh, meet the requirements to get certified in dry needling. Um, acupuncture is very Eastern medicine and Eastern training. Dry needling is a little more Western approach. It's got some evidence and studies behind it. The main difference is the depth of the needle. Acupuncturists barely put the needle in, uh, whereas acupuncture, we go as deep as we need to go to hit the tissue that we want to hit. So if I want to hit your infraspinatus on the back of your shoulder blade, I only need to go in about an inch and a half, two inches. If I need to hit your piriformis, I got to go through your uh, skin, adipose tissue, glute max. Some people, some people got a big ass ass cheek, right? It's deep. Yeah. And then, so glute max, glute me, glute min, and you got to get all the way to that piriformis. So you're using you know, a needle this big. Um, so depth of the needle is the main difference between acupuncture and dry needling, number one. Number two, acupuncturists typically put the needle in and then they leave it there for a while. Typical dry needling is we put in uh, the needle and we piston the needle, we'll twist the needle, we'll manipulate the needle as much as we can to try to facilitate a twitch response. No shit. And when you got like needles in the QL, do you remember feeling any of that uh, that, that twitching or anything like that? Because they hook it up to like... Not always. Yeah. That's another type of treatment within dry needling that you can do. But not all dry needling connects to a current. Okay, yeah. Because I've had it where it connects and it's like, then you can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. It lights you up a little bit. Yeah. So let's say one of the most popular areas that I needle is like your upper trap. People get trigger points and pain-generating knots in your upper trap all the time. People yeah. carry a lot of tension up there. People are upper trap dominant with a lot of upper uh, you know, extremity movement. And so I pinch that, uh, that upper trap, and I piston that needle in the upper trap right where I feel that trigger point or knot, and I try to facilitate a twitch. And when I got certified in dry needling, the theory was that uh, it was a mechanical release of that knot. So you got to, your muscle fibers are supposed to be in nice straight lines like this. You've got a, a spasm or a trigger point or not, or those muscle fibers are just bunched up. You stick the needle right in that area of those muscle fibers of that, you know, that are carrying that high tone, that spasm. You make it twitch and it's a mechanical release of that knot. Uh, then some studies kind of said, well, I don't think that that's exactly what's happening. We think that there's also a neurophysiological release because what's holding that muscle in a spasm is you're getting brain signals to that muscle saying contract, contract, contract. And that's what you're holding when you got a knot or a trigger point. Um, and so I think it's a little bit of both. I think you're getting a neurophysiological release from that spasm, stopping those signals to that area. And I think we're also with a twitch, I think you're getting a, a mechanical release as well. And that's one of the biggest things you do is the manipulation and dry needling. Anything else? I'll do uh, I-STEM, instrument assisted soft tissue mobilization. A lot of times in an area after I dry needle it, you know, because after you release it, if it's been locked up for a long time, it wants to go back to that position, depending on how chronic it's been. Yeah. And so then we'll scrape the hell out of it and just try to really lengthen that tissue, break up the, you know, any myofascial adhesions uh, that are there. Um, uh, and then I prescribe mobility and stretching exercises that are appropriate for what they're dealing with, what they're coming in for. And, like, how often do you see people on average? Like, does somebody come, hey, I'm going to see you six times or ten times or just depends case to case? Or, like, what's the average? 
uh, like I'm not a normal person. Like I go to my dude every fucking week, but right. I do this for a living, and I want to still do all the things. I am older, but I still want to dunk a basketball and run a mile under six minutes and be able to lift the shit that I want to lift. And not stupid, stupid heavy, but I just want to do it and be as pain-free, I guess, as I possibly can. So I'll invest an hour every week to go see a person. Yeah. I know I have that stat in uh, or that data in my software that, you know. But I'm, do most people come just to get fixed? No. For lack of a better word. No. Uh, I've got my clients just like you that I got some that I see every single week, once a week. I got folks that have their regular appointment every other week. And then I got folks that are once a month. I'm coming in. I want you to run a full assessment, find, you know, identify any areas that are stiff, hypomobile, you know, any muscle imbalance. Or typically they have some complaint that they're dealing with. Yeah, I, you know, my neck is a little tighter. Uh, you know, low back, is, I got something going on there. And so we all evaluate whatever that complaint is that day. And then I got my folks that uh, only come in when something happens. And so, you know, let's say you've got, you know, someone's dealing with a little rotator cuff impingement uh, that, you know, pops up um, and, uh, you know, probably treat that person once or twice a week for two weeks, three weeks, maybe uh, four to six sessions, put it to bed. And then I don't see him until something else pops up. And what about for people who train like quite a bit? Like, you know, most of these people, it's, you know, it's. Rec, like you know recreational fitness or it's just you know entertainment fitness they're not athletes they're really not competing in anything like Tuesday night basketball league like doesn't fucking matter mm-hmm. no offense but like you know if you played or you didn't play like the world doesn't give a shit you know like you do but it's not for anything so it's just for them wanting to do it with that person I mean to me if they could invest like either weekly or every other week going to see somebody it would be to their benefit yep. drastically mm-hmm. But that's a hard sell, I think, for a lot of people to commit to that. Because, like, you're doing so – again, you come in here, and it's like you're building your body up, but you're also tearing it down. Mm-hmm. It's really what we're doing. And unless you're – even for me, if I can fix 90% of the things, or I can make 90% of it feel better, the 10% I can't. And over time, that 10% starts to just stack up and stack up and stack up. And, like, that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. Where you – for most people, you'll – Always default like to what you're willing to do in terms of at least what I've seen in terms of tissue work and mobility, meaning you'll work on the things you're willing to work on, but sometimes you don't even know what you don't know. And that's when someone else can take your stuff through a different range of motion or they can literally touch or move two things and you're like, oh shit, I didn't know my right eye ductor was tight and that's why I can't get as deep on a, you know, heel over toe like split squat on the left side because the chain is pushing through the hips like you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. but that's a tough sell for people uh but you're a freak right because you can identify those things on your own because you've gotten to know your body so well and you're very in tune with that's what i do that's what you do right most people but even for me even knowing it i'm like well shit i can't lay down and then push here and then manually move my leg there's a lot of things i can do Mm -hmm. But I can't do it all. Right. And so you need someone for that 10%. And as we age, that 10% grows. Um, so, you know, those are the folks that I, that's, I mean, that's my client that I see the most. Maybe it starts at 35, you know, 40, uh, you know, to, you know, 55 years old, that folks that are still very active. They're playing, you know, they're in the gym five days a week. They're 
playing pickleball or tennis or fucking pickleball, golf, dude. Uh, incredible. <laughs> pickleball, bro. Pickleball. Where are we at? Oh, man. Anyways, a lot of people playing it. Do you see injuries from pickleball? Yes. Like, oh, my God. Because it's not, it's a smaller space. I played once. Yeah, but you're still making ballistic movements with people that are deconditioned, out of shape, and stiff, it, tight. Doing sitting, no sitting movement prep. Yeah. yeah. That's wild, dude. Just prime for injury. I get a lot of people who get um, either golf or tennis elbow. Yeah. Because they death grip the paddle. And then I tell them what they can do. And then, first of all, if you ever had tennis elbow or golfer's elbow, that shit don't go away for a long time. Even if you work on it, like it does take a while. But you can't keep doing the thing that caused the thing and then think it will go away. You're just feeding the inflammation, basically. Yeah, right? That's rough, dude. But, you know, that's, I see a ton of lateral and medial epicondylitis or golf or tennis elbow um, because you don't have to play golf or tennis to get it. It's people death gripping a paddle, it's people uh, overuse, overuse injury, right? In the gym, things like that. And so rest a lot of times isn't enough. And then, and then if you have chronic inflammation, so we call it tendonitis. If you have chronic tendonitis uh, for two to three months, now we change the name from tendonitis to tendinosis. Um, and all that means is we can actually start seeing, uh, we see physiological changes to the tendon. The tendon starts getting thicker. And then the second thing is it doesn't accept tension or load, like it actually loses some of its elasticity in the tendon. Um, and that's when it becomes really hard for it go, uh, to go away. But that's what most people do. They let, you know, let it go and they're like, Oh, I just push through it and think it's going to go away. And then two months later, it's still there. And now we got a chronic fucking issue that's harder to go away. Well, it's crazy in that one too, specifically, cause it's most, uh, things that we see here uh, above or below the joint typically is where it's coming from. And it's the stuff around it sucks. So if it's like, well, if it's your pickleball arm, essentially it's your forearm or your tricep or both. And usually it's the forearm. I go, but if you think about the things people touch the least, how often do people really roll their triceps? Almost fucking never. And mm -hmm. when you get on a peanut and you do it, you're like, oh shit, bro. Yeah. Like when we put people on it here, they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, if you think about like your calves, right? And we do a lot of the cross fiber, cross tissue stuff. Cause I think it's, the articulation makes the change better versus just always rolling with the grain. Not that there's anything wrong with it. If it feels good, fine. I go, but to really, for lack of a better word, like shearing. It's more aggressive. Of the tissue, yeah, to get it to actually move. When you roll your calves from left to right and you can split the muscles, you're like, what the hell is this? I'm like, well, think about how much, like, if you're talking like what's the strongest muscle, like, you know, for lack of a better term, like inch for inch, like soleus. I mean, how much force and load is it responsible for, right? Like, your Achilles is the strongest tendon. Yeah. You know, so, like, how much damage does that muscle take over, 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 yet you never scrape it, you never really stretch it, mm -hmm. you don't massage it up, it just gets tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter, and then you're like, oh, shit, now my ankles are trash or my knees are trash. And then your elbow basically is the same thing. Because mm -hmm. nobody strips their forearms. I mean, I do, yep. but this is what I do. Yep. And I go to a guy. Yep. And I roll my triceps on all my upper body days because mm -hmm. uh, if I don't, once you're probably close to 40 or probably over 30 and you do enough pull-ups or farmers, the shit will get tight. Yeah. But so that's what I do, Jeremy. I and mean, that's what people come to me for because they're not going to figure this stuff out typically on their own. And so I'm just able to identify an issue. The advice is don't wait until it 
bothers you for weeks and weeks and weeks? I mean, I tell everyone the same thing, like, and I do the same thing, like, give it a week, something, you know, onset of something happens, you know, a lot of times with rest, some stretching, you know, maybe you do throw an ice, you know, some ice on it, um, you know, if it's a inflamed tendon or something, give it a week, a lot of things do resolve in a week. Um, but after a week, if it's not going away, don't let it go. Don't become a bigger issue or a more chronic thing and, and get in because you can put it to bed a lot quicker that way than if you wait. Uh, your thoughts on the percussion, uh, the, the percussion guns, like there are guns in those things. Yep. Percussive therapy, uh, increases tissue temperature, uh, is what vibration waves do. And so the best application for percussive, uh, therapy or vibration waves is to literally warm up a tissue before exercise. Um, I don't recommend it necessarily after exercise. I think once the tissue is nice and warmed after exercise or an event or activity, then you should stretch. But just like you're supposed to do a dynamic warm-up is what you're supposed to do before an activity. You're not supposed to stretch cold uh, tissue. That's what a Theragun can be beneficial for. So helping to literally warm up a muscle, uh, it can be good for that. I mean, yeah, we have, they send them to us. We have them. And they're fine for a certain thing, but like I could jam that thing in it and it doesn't do anything. Yeah. It feels like, yeah. If you have like an active trigger point, like it can feel good to, you know, beat it up for a little bit. Uh, try to warm it up. If you warm it up, then the tissue is going to be typically more extensible. Uh, so it might feel a little bit better temporarily. Which is, which I'm a fan of. Like if things feel good, do them. Great. But it doesn't take the place of everything else. No. And a lot of times people think like, oh, Mike, have, did you, you know, did you roll your stuff at home? And I'm not against, like, we have a lot of the PB rollers. I think Amazon now makes the same black composite ones, which are fine. We use the Rumba rollers at home that have, like, at least some texture to them. Mm -hmm. And it's odd because, like, we bring the medium, I think they're either soft or medium ones in here. And we have the hard ones at my house. They're two different planets, dude. Like, the people here are being tears on the hard ones because the tissue's not ready for it. And that's, so we give them the softer ones. Yet people will say, well, I did the, you know, Theragun at home. I don't need to roll. And I'm like, dude, rolling your quads. And I think people think like their VMO is the worst. No, to roll the outside of your quads, dude. You'll probably start crying. I go, I could jam in a Theragun in there as hard as possible and, and fall asleep. Yeah. I can't lay on a roller. <sighs> like on my quads. Like there's just so – and I do mine yeah. multiple times a week. It's two different things. Yeah. I like to do it up against a wall because it's just – uh, put the foam roller up against the wall and, oh, do, yeah. and do IT band or quad. Um, typically, more, IT band's easier. Otherwise, you just look like you're humping the wall. But uh, putting because like laying on an IT band on a foam roller on the floor, it hurts so much. You got to either go like in front or behind. Yeah, almost. Like so, I'll do a lot of the glute stuff against the wall. Yeah, like with a lacrosse because it's just you can get deeper into it. Yeah, and you can control how hard. Whereas if you got to like keep your entire body weight off that foam roller, it's it's a struggle. Yeah. Uh, hot and cold therapy? Uh, big fan of cryotherapy. I mean, of all the modalities that are out there, the one that's been, like, studied the most, you know, call it the umbrella of cryotherapy, is any cold therapy. Whether you're throwing an ice pack on something or uh, a cold plunge or uh, those, you know, cryo chambers, of all of them, uh, dunking yourself in water. Uh, so doing cold plunging, whether it's ankle in an ice bucket or your entire body in it, is the most supported for uh, helping with inflammation, um, you know, muscle recovery. And then there's 
you know, other benefits and stuff like, uh, you know, sure it's, it stimulates the nervous system can help with energy, you know, things like that. Uh, I don't, you know, put as much stock in that. I think it definitely helps with recovery. Um, and it's what the literature and research supports. And it's a miserable experience. It is. Got yeah. to, just got to breathe through it. Uh, we had, they sent us an ice barrel. So another company reached out to us the other day too, for one. Uh, I'm going to forget the name of it, but they had this super dope. I'm not going to say the name because they need to send it to me first. Um, they sent us one where it's, it's almost like a, it's like a cold plunge, but you could take it with you. Like inflatable. Yeah. How does it get cold? Um, you still have to dump the shit you in You still it. need to put ice in it. Yeah, yeah. But I think they have a thing where you could hook it up to it because they have a hot tub that's wood-fired. So the hot tub doesn't have to be... Um, it's, I mean, it's expensive, like probably 10 Gs. Yeah. Uh, but the hot tub, it looks super cool. Like it, It's actually like looks legit. And it's like kind of like a trigger, essentially. Okay. And that's what heats the hot tub up. And then they have a cold version of it, too, which I think that one had for electricity because you plug it in like an air conditioner, but I think you still do dump ice in it. Um. I'm like, I don't really want that. I'll take the hot tub for sure, though. Yeah. Because um, that just seems fun. Because that cold shit, man, I fucking hate it, bro. I can't stand it. If you guys don't have access to that, just get in your shower. Put that shit on cold, and you can stand it there. At least yeah. wake you up a little bit. <laughs> It'll wake you up, but then you're not getting the therapeutic benefits of it then. No. Um, and and you're going to read stuff all over the place. Uh, you know, there was a... Did you see that Netflix thing, uh, Limitless? Um, with, oh, the uh, Chris Hemsworth. With Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was really well done that one episode that was exposing your body to extreme temperatures, both hot and cold. And they broke it down on a cellular level, like what's happening, you know, what are all the therapeutic benefits, you know, all the other, you know, cellular benefits, stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and those things are, you know, uh, pretty supported. Um, uh, you know, Dr. Peter Atia, you know, talks about a lot of those things. Um, I had Michael um, Roviello. He's uh, runs uh, Optimize. Is this place? Yeah, there's two of them here. Okay, I'm not familiar. Um, he um, is like homies with Wim Hof. Okay. Like went through, yeah, dude, he was telling me all this shit. He used to do, because um, Michael used to do uh, Die for the Navy. So like they would dump him in the water. He'd rescue people and they'd pull him up. as this whole story, but he like loves the water and he loves the cold shit. Yeah. And he's like swears by it. And I'm like, dude, it's just, it's misery. Yeah. But again, some people swear it's like that's their jam, dude. For me, it's, uh, I don't think I'm ever going to be a regular uh like daily every morning I'm jumping in it. Fuck no. But like if I'm sore from, you know, a Sunday Metcon that whooped my ass or uh, just a hard leg day or, you know, sore after playing one too many pickup games or something like that. Yeah. After I jump in a cold plunge, I feel so much better. Uh, so just in terms of recovery, it's very effective. Um, yeah. Uh, last questions. I'll get you out of here. What, um, is there any underrated muscle groups? that you see like the average person um, across the board, like, Hey, you know what? Most people skip this and this, and these two things would benefit them greatly. Um, you know, I think uh, doing act, you know, exercises that really engage uh, middle and lower trap uh, and lat, which are going to depress the shoulder blades um, are areas that um, people don't do correctly. If you see someone do a, a row or um, you know, a lot of different exercises, people are engaging upper trap so much. And so it really just establishes a pattern of upper trap dominance. And it just you know, elevates that humeral head and is just putting you in a position next time you do an overhead press or a lat raise to come up into that impingement zone. Um, and then because we all spend so much time, forward shoulders, 
shitty posture, uh, just really keeping posterior chain strong, uh, but specifically with the scapular depressors. Um, I think that's an area that most people can spend more time. Uh, uh, like two or three exercises. Uh, doing like a, a scapular retraction with, uh, you know, shoulder extension with scapular uh, extension or sh- shoulder extension. Face pulls. Uh, I see people do face pulls and they're, they're engaging upper trap too much. Like band pull-aparts? Mm-hmm. Yep. Different hand placements? Yep. Yeah. Band pull-aparts, good old-fashioned rows, but focusing on scapular depression rather than shrugging shoulders, bringing your you know, shoulders up in your ears. Well, you realize, like, how weak, like, your, like, external rotators are and, like, how weak everything is on the backside? Like, I remember doing, like, the first... We did this huge mobility flow for men's health. Um, it was, like, the first video of this program. It's all, it was all band work. The first, I don't know, probably fucking six minutes, just... Wrote, dripping, bro. Dripping sweat. And I'm like, my shit is on fire. And I'm like, dude, we need to quit doing this right now. I go, because we will do it here, but the volume was so much. Because you're doing it for video, and it's for time, and it has to look yeah. perfect. I'm like, dude, six minutes of this, and I'm like, I'm destroyed, dude. Or yeah. we'll do a lot of like the trap three raises, like on an incline, light dumbbells, and just... You bring them up, but can you eccentrically let them come down? And you'd be surprised like how weak... Like I'm, you know, I like to think relatively strong... Um, 10 pounds smoke, yeah. bro. Yeah. Like if I'm really trying to be eccentric with it, if I can swing fucking weight all day, I go, but to really overhead and in try to control, I mean like on fire. Yeah. That's a good way to get blood flow, like to all the tissue too, and to the spine without actually moving yep. the spine. But we see it too here with people. Um, but again, when you lose the upper back, you lose the lower back mm-hmm. typically. Then I'd say glute mead. Uh, you know, a lot of people just do stuff in sagittal, sagittal plane and people aren't doing enough lateral work. And so glute meat is a, a big stabilizer of the knee uh, and the hip, uh, provides, you know, good stability, uh, you know, lumbar spine. So, I, you know, most people are weak in glute meat. Um, and then uh, working, uh, strengthening of the knee through the full range of motion, um, you know, so not necessarily the, you know, kind of like knee, familiar with like the knees over toes guy. So, I mean, functionally, when I, when I got into PT school, I mean, literally they were teaching, you know, don't let your knees go over your toes and, you know, don't go past 90. And I mean, that was the stuff that, you know, they wanted us to buy into. Uh, but functionally we have to bend, you know, bend forward into deep knee flexion all the time. Um, and so a lot of people aren't strengthening that way. And well, so, you look at like it, that never made sense to me. Like I never, from just a, I'm not that smart, but just, basic things I have always understood. I'm like, you can't put your knee over your toe. I'm like, bro, how are you playing on the line? How are you lining up? Mm-hmm. How do you fucking start a sprint? Yeah. Like, how are you doing any, basically anything in life? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. How are you doing a fucking skater hop? Like, none of it ever made sense. But to that point, like, so a lot of that stuff, even the zero programs and a lot of that shit is hard for people to do. Mm-hmm. Like, when you see how bad someone is. Like, can you can they get their knee over their toe? Fuck no, they can't. Yeah. Like, zero. A, not only do their ankles are trash, and the knees are trash, but I'm like, the hips are so tight. Yeah. Like, there's so much restriction. When you said the glute meat stuff, like, two, like two three exercises for people. Single leg stance, just standing on one leg, and, uh, you know, maybe you're doing, like, a fire hydrant uh, exercise. So you're, you know, uh, putting a band around the knees, just above the knees, and you're, uh, you know, making a hip abduction like you're peeing on a fire hydrant yeah uh just smokes the leg that you're standing on even more than the one that's doing the abduction 
um, you know, most people have shitty balance. So it's a kind of dual purpose. You're, you're working on balance, uh, you know, so ankle stability, knee stability, and then you're, you know, just smoking the hips. That's one of my favorite ones to do. Um, and then, you know, just doing banded, you know, monster walks or lateral walks, great way to do it. Most people can do it. It's pretty easy exercise to teach. Into lying hip raises or Mm -hmm. clamshells basically. Yep. Those are, I mean, even if you're strong, 15 of those body weight for most people. Yeah. Smoke show. Banded single leg bridges. And you put, you know, put a little dumbbell on top of your hip too. I mean. Rough dude. You rep, you rep those out. Burning. I remember the, like Dan John was talking and he was like, what did he say? Uh, we all spoke at a conference, and he was up like right before me, and he was like, if you can't stand on a – what did he say the assessment was? If you can't stand on a single leg with your eyes closed for 10 seconds, he's like, we won't train you. <laughs> it was something like that. And then like half the people in the room were like trying to fucking do it, and like because their eyes are closed, and they, they – I don't know what it is. Like we've had neuro guys on talk about it, but it's wild how people's balance is so trash. Yeah, I'm not so worried about the eyes closed stuff. I mean, you use – three main systems for balance, your vision, vestibular, and proprioception. So if you take vision away, you have to rely on the other two, uh, vestibular and proprioception. The biggest limiter is proprioception. Yep. Uh, most people's vestibular system, the crystals and stuff are just fine. Um, so if you take vision away, though, you got to just rely on, on proprioception. Most people suck at it. Uh, you have any favorite like full body stretches that you do or recommend for people? Like we do world's greatest stretch. Yep. Big fan. Typically. And then uh, just a good old-fashioned, like, Cobra prone press-up. Um, you know, most people's lumbar spine doesn't spend enough time into extension. Uh, so, I, you know, uh, that one's great. Um, and then I love a pigeon stretch. Um, I think that just uh, opens up the hips uh, uh, really, really well. Uh, stretches the posterior chain great. World's greatest stretch. Um, and, uh, yeah, those are probably the big ones. You just did that every day. Yeah. Most people would be okay. Shoot, laying on a foam roll and just trying to like letting your arms hit the ground. That'd be a, another probably good one to start with because everyone has tight packs. Uh, yeah, most people even just sitting on it five minutes a day. And it, whether it's snow angels or doing we talk like arms of a clock and just move it as the kind of the time goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, and just lets the spine kind of open up too. So many benefits. But again, just takes dedicated time to do it. But those are all easy things. Like half the stuff you listed, right? Like, okay, lay on a foam roller, do a pigeon stretch, uh, whether it is any of the McKenzie stuff or like the prone uh, Cobra shit. If you're on the floor, you're probably going to do these things anyway. Like that's why I'm just a fan of like, if you can just sit on the floor at home and watch some of your shows sitting on the fucking ground, like you're going to naturally do this. Yeah. Like I don't know how else to say that without like describing it to you. You just will not sit... Because when you're on a couch, it's comfortable as hell. And you just can zone out and be there. When you're on the floor, it just isn't. It is for like two, three minutes. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I want to feel like I want to move. And if any advice I would give someone, like, just keep your foam roller like in your living room. Who gives a shit, dude? It's not HGTV. No one's fucking coming <laughs> over. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if it's in your closet or your laundry room or wherever, it's like you're less likely to do it. Or shit, have a kid. You'll spend more time on the floor than you ever have in your life. That's dude, what I mean, I've bro. spent more time doing mobility work than I have in the last eight months. Uh, ever just because you're I mean I'm on the floor playing with the little dude all the time and imagine if you're like not mobile and you can't then it's like you're gonna have to figure it out it was eye-opening man I mean being able to you know pick him up and get down and get up and get I mean uh yeah helps being fit yeah uh working these guys uh I'm about to pee my pants here too uh working <laughs> these guys um 
find you at? All uh, your all your social handles, website, all that stuff. Yeah, I got a website, My Modern Movement uh, PT. Um, you know, on there, people can book appointments right online from the website. Um, and then I've got a, uh, Instagram, uh, Modern Movement PT. Uh, you know, people can always DM me. That comes right to me. Um, with any questions uh, that they have, if they're appropriate for treatment, uh, you know, any questions at all. Um, you know, try to create content with, uh, with the time that I have, uh, outside of treating patients. So always try to get some good stuff on there, but, um, yeah, website and, uh, uh, and Instagram's great uh, on my website, you know, email address is on there and, and, uh, you know, phone number, uh, is on there so people can get a hold of me a lot of different ways. Um, I'll stick all this stuff in the show notes too for you guys. So if you want to reach out, obviously feel free to hit him up. He'll reply. He's a real person. Uh, you know like everybody we have on here. Uh, If there's any advice for people who are like living with pain or they have like this extended discomfort, like, you know, what would you tell them? Because a lot of people like would just, I've said this a lot, um, probably the last year more than anything else, just because I'm like, I don't know how normal people even fucking move, dude. Like I I really don't. Um, And I guess like my hypothesis would be, well, your body has just become like a, a tomb, essentially. You're in a f- cocoon of shit, and you're just committed to that, and I guess your range of motion just becomes smaller and smaller and smaller, so you're less likely to do things, and then your baseline for feeling good has just become so low, you're willing to just accept it. Yeah. But you don't have to live like that. I think just finding, uh, seeking out a professional uh, that can help you do it that knows, I mean, they're going to know more about it than you do, and they're going to help keep you accountable. Um, it's the best investment uh, that I think that you can make is in your health or in your body. And so if that's a physical therapist, great. If that's a, a you know personal trainer that can help get you moving uh, more than you are right now, um, uh, working on some mobility and just guiding you on you know some super simple, easy ones. Because the problem is people just scroll on Instagram and they tag and they favor or they favorite hundred things, but they don't do any of it because they're like, oh, I don't know, you know, what should I do? What's the best thing? Or that looks cool, but they just don't do it. Seek out a professional and um, let them help you. Is would be my number one advice. Because like, do even when I and I don't have a lot of fitness stuff on mine because I just don't watch it and I don't get, I watch it all. I don't give a shit anymore. But the amount of just like hip mobility drills that will pop up in the time I'm posting something, it'd be 15 different drills. Mm -hmm. Dude, I can't do 15 different fucking drills just for my hips. I go, and that's just one thing. Not ankles, not knees, not shoulders, not back, not neck, not wrists. It's like, what the fuck, dude? You get this almost, you know, paralysis by analysis of all the things. And I would tell anybody to echo his words, like, just go see somebody. If nothing else, to have them just pinpoint something and give you two or three things just to work on those things. And I would say anything, you're not going to fix everything in a day, and odds are you got a bunch of shit wrong. Um, Just focus on the worst shit first. Yep, start somewhere. Yeah, but just don't do nothing. And, like, if you had a guess, like, the to me, and this is, you know, there's a book, Think Like a Freak, they talk about this a lot all the really extreme things people are willing to do before doing the thing that would actually help them. And if you think about the people who just defer to, like, let me just take drugs and do a surgery, like, that has to be so far down the fucking line, dude. 
I would hope so, but it's not. Which is crazy. Yeah, people want a quick fix. Uh, you know, so they're they want to try to take something. They want to do a passive treatment uh, before an active one. Typically, um, you know, whether that's a, and I love massage. There's a place for massage. I get massages, but you know, it's a passive treatment. It's soft tissue work. A lot of times, it, your issue is going to need a little bit more than that, and so it's usually going to require some form of active something that you're doing not just a passive treatment and even that like when like even if i go through stuff where if i have a restriction pushing through i don't want to say pain because pain is not the right word but pushing through a range of motion that feels comfortable or doing things where you're kind of pushing the limits of it that's where i've had the biggest changes where then eventually it goes away well it kind of bothers my hip to do this i go but if i keep doing it all of a sudden two weeks goes by and i'm like oh fuck now i can do that thing but there is this i think sometimes we get People divorce themselves from like, well, it can't be uncomfortable. Well, no, I'm not saying like, you know, go be in pain, but like some shit's not going to feel good, dude. And that's okay. But most people don't have that mindset. People, Most people don't think that. Most people think, oh my gosh, that's pain. Something's wrong. I shouldn't do that. That's bad. Like, I shouldn't move into that. I guess it's like, it's debilitating. You can't walk. Sure. But there's certain things like, oh, my, like people say my shoulder is tight. I'm like, well, can you just do like a reverse arm circle against the wall? I'm like, well, it's tight. I go, yeah, dude. I'm like, but if we can do it enough, I'm like, I, and here's the thing. If it's already fucked, it's fucked. So what does it, what does it matter? Yeah. If we move it, I mean, if it's already fucking broken, it's broken. But odds are, it's like, if it doesn't, if you, this is what I'll say to people and what we've seen here. People will come in, this really, this, this is hurting me. This is bothering me. When did it happen? I don't know. Unless someone tackled you or you fell down, odds are it's not this thing that is unfixable. Right. It's just something that cumulatively over time just showed up. And it's always been showing up, but now it just did. And now if you you have to reverse the steps. And if it took you, you know, I don't know, 10 years to do it, it might take you six months to get rid of it, but I'm like, it can't go away. If there wasn't a significant mechanism of injury. Like a contact injury. Yeah, so you got tackled. Or there was something where you... You stepped off a step, you rolled your ankle, you felt or heard a pop, there was a mechanism of injury, and you know exactly when the thing happened that caused your hurt or your pain, then it's probably not something serious. And it's probably something that can be addressed pretty easily and fixed fast. Um, and so then, you know, in that case, then, yeah, you're not going to screw it up more uh, if there's not a significant injury there because there wasn't a mechanism of injury. And if you're super concerned, see a pro. Yeah. Boom. This is awesome, dude. That's good stuff. I appreciate it, man. Um, I'll put all his uh, stuff in the show notes. You guys give him a follow uh, on Instagram. Reach out to him if you have a question. If you're in Scottsdale um, and you got some shit that's wrong, hit him up. Maybe he can help you guys move better and feel better if you're willing to do some of the work on your own. Uh, if you guys are on Apple Podcasts, drop it a five-star, leave a comment. Same thing for Spotify. If you guys want to check out the Jeremy Scott Fitness app, we'll give you guys a week for free. If you want a free sample of AG1, hit me up. We'll have Monica send one right to your front door. You guys can check it out. Otherwise, the link's in the show notes with all of our other podcast sponsors. And I'll check in with you guys here in a couple of days. I appreciate it, brother. Thanks this for having Awesome me, stuff. Uh, until next time, you guys, eat well, train hard, be nice to people, and please keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.